internet. Uh, th- there is, oh, I, I changed what I wanted to say, but I don't know it well. And so what I'm going to do right away is I'm going to take you to my setup here. Uh-oh. But that did something I was unprepared for, which we can fix very easily like this. And I can just then come over here and say to you, there is no rush and there is no worry here on the Mad Christian Saturday morning chill. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. What's it like? What's changed for you? I got a lot on the docket today. You can see on the screen what's coming up if we can get there over the next two hours. And it is my intention to get to all of it, including telling you about the terror and horror of Hell's Cow Killers. Cow Killer Killers. We'll be coming to that much, much uh, later in the time here. Uh, but, But then also the regular stuff you've come to expect, SMC notes from the last couple of weeks, your own questions and comments from revvisc.com slash contact, and, uh, well, some Bible, right? Some Bible. We're going to get into Psalm 37 this morning, which is fantastic. But first, I got some announcements I want to make sure that I share with you. So Super Chat is on. It's always on. It's there for you to use in whatever way you see fit. And I'm going to do everything I can to uh, integrate your Super Chatting into the reality that is this show. Although from time to time, I just am not fast enough on my feet. So um, use it at your risk and know, though, that I'm going to be watching for it if you want a question to distract us, uh, you, you can try to do it that way. <clears throat> Indeed. Mad Mighty Network, uh, plural. Uh, how do you hang out with other mad Christians? What do you do? Where do you go? And there are people out there and people in the Super Chat that will hang out online with you if you want to. So uh, ask around and see what you can find in the chats this morning. Uh, none of that is officially sponsored, but of course, because we all trust each other, because we're Christians in general, uh, it's okay to hang out with people online that you met in chatting in the Mad Christian chat room. Yeah, that that being said, uh, don't forget there's some books out there. I would recommend that you read Broken, Without Flesh, Echo. These are from Concordia Publishing House and by myself. At this time, if you are reading anything or listening to anything, I, I, it's a great time to do that. You might have a little more of that kind of thinking time, pondering time on your hand. Uh, those books are there for your leisure if you like and don't forget there's also that uh, first issue first first release we're going to do a, a new release of that eventually of that bit between Brian Wolfmuller and I uh, on the end of the world uh, in search for the real last days so you can always find that on Amazon as well Everything that goes on here, it revolves around Patreon subscription. So if you're on Patreon, thank you. If you're not, please consider doing so. It's a subscription fee. You really only get dinged once a month for it, but it's based on four weeks worth of work for me. Uh, and uh, now you're also starting to see if you are a Patreon giver, uh, supporter, I don't know what to call it legally, uh, a Patreon fan. Uh, you're starting to see I'm doing just little little weekly updates there with some video, nothing official, and that's the point of that stuff. Uh, you're you're not going to sign up for Patreon to get these things, as if these things have content you want in them. Uh, but you might just see some random stuff. So I did a couple book reviews basically this this past week there, um, just because I'd read them in the last two days. So uh, Patreon is there, and you can also get a little bonus there if you do support everything else that I'm doing here in Rockford and on the internet, etc. Like Mad Mondays, the newsletter that you got to sign up for, and if you haven't, you better do it now. It comes out Mondays, and you get so much valuable content across such a wide spectrum, all from a Christian Yes, a mad Christian, a Christian, a Christian point of view. All right. So I also, before I get too far into this, I need to discuss two things with you. One, I'm wearing a hat. 
and, and two, I'm wearing a hat. <laughs> so, um, and, and, and I have a, I have a biblical qualm with this a little bit. If I'm talking about the Bible later in the day, does that count as praying with my head covered while doing a show on the internet? Okay. That, that, that's my, my theological question. Yeah, um, because I am one of those who would take my hat off in a sanctuary. I certainly would never preach with my hat on, and I, I don't really wear the hat to the dinner table. I'll wear it to the dinner table and take it off, and then I'll put it back on after dinner. Sometimes, if we're going to sit at the table for like another hour, I'll put the hat back on, right? Um, but otherwise, I wait until afterwards, and that all comes from a biblical mandate in First Corinthians 11 with regard to looking like a man and looking like a woman when you're a woman, and, and what that means for how we engage the world. Anyway, all of that being said, I don't know how, it, how that applies or what the rules are for teaching the Word of God sort of ad hoc in a lively conversation with nobody and everybody on Saturday morning in your—well, uh, I'm not in my closet at the moment—in in, in the corner of the storage room that has become my workshop near the closet, right? And, and can I wear a hat? And why would I even do this? Why would I be wearing a hat? Because here's another thing you may not know about me. I don't wear hats. I've never been good at hat wearing. It's just never fit me. I tried very hard in seventh and eighth grade to wear hats, and it just I just wasn't cool like the rest of the kids, and they could do it, and I can't. I even saw a guy yesterday out shopping, and he had on a baseball cap. I'm like, man, I wish I could do that. I can't do that. But what I've been discovering recently is there are some caps I can pull off from time to time. One of them would be like that Newsies cap. If it fits really well, I can pull that one off, especially with a cigar in a fall afternoon. Okay. So I'll do that sometimes. But then here's the other thing. Okay. So my beloved wife, who is, again, what else do I call her? She's my beloved wife. I would, I would run to the ends of the earth for her, uh, taking a few rests along the way and complaining while I went. But I would still make an endeavored effort to do it or to desire to do it. Yeah. What she betrayed to me, revealed to me uh, recently, is that she would like my hair a little longer. And, um, well, all other things being equal, now's the time to grow your hair if you've ever had a time to grow your hair. Just just know that. A global shutdown's a good time for hair growth. And so that's what I've been doing. Uh, there's a longer story about how I had long hair once upon a time down past the shoulder length. If you can find a picture, I I don't think they're online, but they do exist. Um, that was way, way back. Wedding photos and whatnot. Uh, but I cut it because of 1 Corinthians 11. I, I actually did. Uh, I, and I knew right away, I said, I'm not going to cut this because I'm going to be legalistic about this as if this will save me. But look, it says it, says it pretty clearly. You know, if a man has his head covered, if a man has long hair, he, he shames himself. Um in a context, and again, that's a very complicated text. We're not going to dig into that all today. But I knew, I knew at that time I wanted to be believing the text, and I knew I didn't understand it. And so I was like, okay, I don't understand what this means, but pretty clearly I don't understand what this means. So how about I just go ahead and cut my hair? So I did. But now, again, my wife says, you know, Jonathan, I like your long hair. You know, I'd love a little more of that. And so, so we've just been letting it go. So here, I'll show you what, it, what, what I'm trying to tame. I'm still taming it on Sunday mornings, but hang tight. It's really getting... Um, now, hold on. We'll go, we'll go to a different camera for, for this one, for the, for the hair love. Let's make sure that we don't get any of that. There. So that doesn't look too bad right now. Um, but this is, this is tall. Like, if you spike this the way I normally spike it and then go straight on, you have like three inches of hair straight up off your head. In fact, many days now when I'm wearing the hat in the house and um, I walk around and it, it's almost Afro-ish. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I can't, but 
this this is pretty weak right now. But I also I tried to cut it to be a little bit of a um, you can see the side is a little bit of a a mohawk that's hidden. But the goal eventually, in theory, would be to grow it out. But I don't know how to do that as a pastor if it's even allowed. So we'll figure out what happens once things get normal again, which is sort of what we probably should really give more time to thinking about and talking about than my hair and my hat. But I wanted to acknowledge those things. And you might also notice I put some wax on the mustachio this morning. I don't know how, how good I am at that, but it, that, that, that made it fun there for what that's worth. None of that really is worth much though, is it? Because the real issue the real issue is uh, what's going on in the world. So I meant to move these SMC notes down a little bit here because clearly first the bad news should be first, right? Shouldn't the first news be first? Yes. Yeah, so, excuse me. Oh, I taste it. Great. I would like to start this morning with the bad news and the good news and just talking about, oh, <laughs> talking about the difference between bad news and good news. And, and what you can see on the screen if you're watching the show, I'm going to explain it to you at home. You know, the picture is not really necessarily all that helpful, but it might be. But it's going to try to illustrate something that uh, is both tailored to understanding the Bible. Like this, the goal of what I'm going to say in the next couple of minutes is to help us better understand what the Bible that Jesus left us means. Okay. Uh, whenever we go to it, wherever we go to it, however we go to it, the goal is to understand what it's saying to us and to have the right eyes to see that. Uh, because it is possible for you to deceive yourself, yada, yada, yada. Okay, so, but th this was connected also then to my, my ever-going, ongoing ponderings of jargon and how to say jargon in ways that don't sound jargonish so that we can know what we're talking about again <laughs> and understand what we believe as Christians and so say it to the world in a way that isn't completely stolen from us by whatever agenda just happens to walk across the front lawn today, right? So, so in that then, I've been wrestling with all these terms, things like the gospel. What does that even mean, the gospel? And maybe you're like, I know exactly what it means, yes, but if I put you in a room with 10 other Christians and had you all define it, you'd all have different meanings. And if you've been well catechized, say, perhaps in a Lutheran church, then maybe six of you got the same meaning, <laughs> right? So, so we can never f work on this enough, especially if we're going to talk about the major teachings of the Bible, the major themes we want to get out of the Bible. All right, so, so in this then, I was listening to Ben Shapiro, which I hadn't done for a long time, but go, you know, right now is a good time in my world for a little Ben Shapiro. He, he hit annoyed political thinking right where I needed it after like three weeks of nothing, right? Except for, you know, Twitter COVID number updates and don't even look at what's being said if I can help it and then goes do some research on what's really happening, like, you know, church-wise that I need to know about, details from the government, blah, 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 right? Uh, but 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 leaving all that behind, I ignored so much for a while. And then I, I, I said, I need to start getting a news source here. We're, you know, we're in Illinois. We're going to extend our stay in another month, another month. Illinois may not exist. Just so y'all know, we may need you to throw us food in a while. The end of May, I'm sorry, I'm detracting now. The end of May for Chicago, most of the state, no dentists? I'm not, what? Sorry. I mean, what? I'm sorry. I'm talking to my governor who's not going to watch this. So it's, the end of May. Throw us food. 
I have no idea how Illinois is going to crawl back out of this one. God bless the rest of the United States that's going to be waking up and starting again and dealing with what Sweden has known all along, right? We're all going to get it. It's just a matter of the system and making sure our healthcare can handle it. So let's all wake up and remember what planet we live on. I'll come back to a little more of this again here too. Why are we so surprised by Why are we so surprised? I want to come back to that. Let's first talk about the bad news. <laughs> the bad news, or isn't that what I was just talking about? Here's the thing that Ben Shapiro said that was, well, stunning to me. And if you're going to gnaw on me now, my, my one or two anti-Semite listeners for listening to Ben Shapiro, by the way, just, just to bring it up again, please gnaw on this one the great evil that Ben Shapiro taught me with this one. What he said is, do you want the bad news first or the good news first? That's all he said, right? After that, he said a bunch of other stuff that I listened to as well. But the only thing that really stuck in my head for the next like seven hours was this question. Do you want the bad news first or do you want the good news first? And I started thinking about those terms, bad news and good news, bad news and good news. And how much I hate that phrase, bad news or good news, I've had that said to me in life, besides from Ben Shapiro. Like, have you ever had this moment? Like a doctor, maybe? I, I, I think that's where it was. I can't recall, but I know it was somewhere severe where I had someone of authority at some point say to me, do you want the bad news first or the good news first? And as like a 16-year-old or whatever I was at the time, it's like an existential dread kind of question. What do I believe about the universe? <laughs> it really gets to that level very, very quickly. Can I handle the bad news? Do I need the good news first so that I can have some hope as I go through the bad news? Or, or is the bad news going to be so bad that I better save the hope till afterwards? Y you know? And then, and then, as I was thinking about that then and how much the bad news is just such a bad thing in that equation, if that ever happens in life, the emotion that would happen at that moment, bad news or good news, the, the question itself, even if you're, if you're like, well, I know what answer I would give. Okay, fine. That's, that's fine. But still put yourself in that moment where you would be this emotionally challenged to realize something of equivocal reality, good and bad is about to rock your world. Someone asks that question to you. You don't like the word bad news. Because of that, the phrase bad news, you don't like it. But in that equation, what is your anchor and your hope is this other word, good news, good news. And then, okay, so now, now I'm going to pause and inject another tangent in here, but it, it, it's all going to the end of this thing. Okay. So bad news, good news. I don't like bad. I do like good. What about the word news? Fake news. Old news. If true news, perhaps. Um, new news and then of course you can go dr seuss with the new new news yes new i knew the new new news <laughs> and and if you in fact were perhaps some sort of uh what uh, ruminant from the plains of africa you could be a new who knew the new new news and that would be fun right but that's not the point the point is the word news <laughs> to us means the media doesn't it i mean it pretty much usually just just means the media or sometimes i mean I, i'll say it's new but I, i'll usually say it's brand new i wouldn't even say new then it's new it's brand new. You know, the word news has become what the media tells us. And so in all of what that word means, the news of the world, everything that I hear from the world, what's the news? Tell me what's happening. What's different? What's the buzz? Oh, that's ah, Jesus Christ Superstar. Look at that. Old ways die hard. Um, what's the news? 
is the question we're always asking. And the ones who are telling us are men. Men with power, men with money, men with agendas, doesn't matter which ones. They're out there with the news, right? And so you turn on the news and you listen to the news and maybe you read the news. Is it the good news? Is it the bad news? Well, the funny thing is, if you open any paper ever, you know the answer to what's in the paper. Don't you? Oh, that's right. It's the bad news. <laughs> the good news might make the paper sometimes. Usually only if it's ending the bad news, <laughs> right? So like COVID is over. It's not. But if it, you know, when it said COVID is over, that news would be good news, but only because we had so much bad news before it. So the paper just really doesn't very often bring you straight up good news. Just for fun, here's some good news today. That's why we have the funnies and the sports, so that once in a while, some of us can have some good news. <laughs> Unless you live in certain areas of the country, you know, with curses and whatnot. Mm. So, again, again, so now in this, in this idea of the news, and wanting to have in your life news, information that comes from outside, and knowing that sometimes it's bad news and sometimes it's good news, but wanting more good news than bad news, isn't it stunning that the word good news shows up in the New Testament as a primary and dominant and even the actual main point of the entire thing? Gospel. The good news. Why? Why when I've said that, this is me, okay, but I learned this somewhere. I didn't just make it up. When I talk about the good news as a Lutheran pastor, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, why is the emphasis on the word good and not on the word news? And then that, of course, gets me to ask the question, you know, so what does it actually mean, the gospel, when I'm looking at, oh, I don't know, an article in the Formula of Concord and pondering the proper distinction between law and gospel, and how to retain it in the present age, because it is a particularly glorious light with which we can illuminate the hearts and minds of fallen, even dead men. Pondering this, wanting to say it without being trapped in, you must become Lutheran and memorize law gospel terminology to have a conversation with me, land. Well, Ben Shapiro just did me this huge favor. He said, you want the bad news or the good news? I realize, you know what? That's a phrase for law and gospel. Now, don't get it wrong here. Don't get it wrong. Just going to put it in news because the law is not bad news. However, it is bad news to you when you find that you are a lawbreaker. Right? But the law is not bad news. The law is not news. The law is a design. The law is a design of all creation is what God made us to be. That's the law. Gravity, the law of gravity, is what God made it to be. Well, so the law of morality, the law of do not murder, we all know that one. You said you don't, you know, somebody taught me this. It's true. Someone did teach me to say, you shall not murder. But there's a few intuitive things you know as a kid, and, and you know that when someone tries to kill you, it's wrong. <laughs> you shall not, right? It, it, that's part of the design. We're designed to not kill each other. Now, the bad news is that this created reality is, is breaking bad. Remember that marvelous show? I was pondering it a little bit this morning. 
tangent forever on the worldview of that. I remember reading an article about how evil the show was and how bad it was because of all the bad stuff. And I was, yeah, it was really, it was all sorts of bad stuff. But what was stunning to me is that it really was a show about a man unleashed from his fear of modern society to believe in the power of his intellect to achieve good for his family. And he did it all wrong. It was all wrong. And he dies for it. But it was fascinating study in, in mankind. I, I really got to say that that said, breaking bad, the term, the phrase means turning evil. Right? When you break bad is when you decide, you know, you grew up in a good home and you marry the girl across the tracks and run off in a lobe. You broke bad. Okay, so creation is breaking bad right now. It has been for a bit. <laughs> yeah, not millions of years, mind you, just a bit, but quite a bit at that, as far as humans can remember. Yeah, all the way back to the first guy that remembered anything and told to anybody. And we have some record of that. And he actually claimed fault for the whole thing. He said, I did it. Um, I decided to try to, to remove the creator. And so here we are with the results of that whole thing. And we can get into like how to tell that story that way. Okay. But my point here then is that the bad news is the breaking bad of creation. Right. And you can see it there. Can I point? Can I point over there? Nope. It's over there. You can see over, 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 over there. Uh, the breaking bad of creation wherein dwelleth thou. We got to bring back the plural, man. Thou, you plural. Y'all dwell there in that in that design where the bad news is that you've broken bad, would you like some good news? Something new that isn't built into creation. It's outside of creation, but coming into creation. It is the fact that God's kind of happy with you right now. Like totally. Absolutely, contentedly, the favor of God rests upon thou, you all, plural, thus all creation eth. Huh? This is the good news. The God's favor rests upon you, plural, creation. And yeah, this is in Jesus. <laughs> this is Jesus. Jesus is the favor, okay? But the, the point of the good news is that because of what Jesus did, the favor of the Almighty rests upon all creation. And this favor that you have in Jesus Christ is the assurance in the face of a breaking bad creation that, that well, that you're not going to break all the way. In fact, so much so that you can, you can desire thou to look at the design through the eyes of the good news and not call it bad anymore. Just call it waiting, perhaps. Yeah? I, I, I feel like that's helpful. I also feel like this one's helpful, too. I feel like if things are never going to be the same again because of COVID and Corona and all this, it's never going back. We're going to be in our closets forever. I mean, we won't be. We can't be. We, hunger will drive Illinois to war. That's my fear. I live in a place where there's enough people that if they just get angry and don't have food or money long enough, they might just take it. And I don't know. I mean, is my mayor ready to stop that? I don't think he is. I know my governor's not. So I don't think they're thinking about the rest of us. The rest of us who want the best for all our neighbors, and, and including those who might at some point try to steal from us to try to survive. And we're not even allowed to talk to each other, right? So, so it's, it's pretty weird in that. I'm pretty convinced things are going to go back to normal-ish faster than we think. I, I really mean that. But by normal-ish, I mean 
back to what will be the new normal faster than we think. And the new normal will come, I believe, by, by the summer. Uh, we will understand it. Whether or not that new normal is a permanent single thing or whether or not that new normal is a wave following kind of thing, like flu shots, right? That new normal is going to be here to stay. And the thing we need to do now is just adapt to it. And that's where it's going to be here faster than we realize. It's not here yet. I don't know what it is. I'll tell you when I think I know what it is. It's not here yet. Uh, it, it'll be here probably by June, though, we're going to kind of know because you're either going to be having people in the streets breaking into grocery stores for food uh, or you're going to be back to some semblance of what's what is just the way it's going to be. Right. And in at least everyone's getting fed and there's no war. Uh, I don't think there's going to be a war, by the way. I don't think there should. But I think there may be riots. If, if the government is not careful and people get hungry enough, I'm not going to riot. I am prepared. <laughs> I don't have stockpiles of food, but I bought some sardines. I mean, we're going to do our best to protect everyone around us. So don't hear me. I don't want to instigate a bit of this. I just believe it's going to happen if we're not wise and we shut things down for too long in the, the poor neighborhoods. Why? Well, eventually, they're just going to, they already are starting. I mean, I, I drove through on the other evening and there's a lot of walking going on. More than like the neighborhood walk-in that I'm seeing, right? So anyway, 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 the new normal, I believe, will be here. We'll know, we'll be able to diagnose it and kind of know what it is by mid-summer. And it will not be the same as it was, but a lot of it will be. Most of the things that are ultimately the most important will be. And this is where we have such an opportunity right now. I, 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 I cannot point you to the article. But my children were sharing with me an article that they had read from a lady talking about having her child home from school because of COVID and how she was having to now take on the role of teacher more and more. And she was trying in the article to make the argument for how it's possible, but it'll be good when school starts again. But by the end of the article... My kid said there, she hadn't said anything good about really going back to school other than that it was supposed to happen and it was supposed to be good, but she had just raved about the kind of time and detailed things she'd been doing with her child, right? Now, I'm not saying don't have the schools open again, although I think, I think if you're a Lutheran school, you got to be like really wide-eyed about what's going on right now. This is going to change everything, right? Uh, so get ready. If you're, if you're waffling, if you're like toppling... Be ready. Uh, be aware. Talk a lot with your pastor and your leaders. Um, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, uh, the point of the story is not school or not school. The point of the story is what this event is doing is it's compelling us to see things in the design of creation that God made and gave to us, which we know in the Ten Commandments, to see things that are good and are always there that as a civilization, we have been really working hard to make go away for the last decade or two. Uh, uh, human relationships. There was another article that I can't point to on a link. I'm sorry. It was hearsay from my family, my well-read kids, apparently. Uh, an article about, oh, I think this one came through issues, etc. though. So you may be able to find that pretty easily. Uh, about a Harvard. And I, and I just, I waved this off. My, my kids were so worried. And I was like, oh, this surprises you? Because it just didn't surprise me. But apparently a Harvard uh, educator talking about how one of the greatest threats to civilization is homeschooling uh, because we don't, uh, we, we don't 
teach them to listen to them. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, like that is in fact why, why I homeschool mostly. There's also the lazy factor, but, and you can ask me about this some other time. I really am a homeschooler because I'm lazy. I mean that with all my heart. Uh, The point is that that one lady who was at home homeschooling her kid with the help of the school, one way or the other, discovering the types of things she was able to do with joy with her child, like planting seeds and whatever else it was, okay? Discovering that, let's pray to God that doesn't change back. Right? Well, if you go back to school, fine. But let's pray to God we remember how great it is to spend time together as family, as a, as a civilization. Let's pray to God we remember how great it is that we have borders and we can close them if we have to. I don't mean to get political on it. It's actually an article of creation, the distance and boundaries. The, the, the border between your body and mine is the border between sickness and health. And we've, we've had an all-out philosophical assault on that idea for like, I don't, publicly, at least eight years. <laughs> it's not longer. And, and this is God's curb saying, oh, you want to see a world without borders? I'll show you sin without borders. Yeah, I will. So, so I have a different view on this. I'm not happy about any of it. I, don't get me wrong on that. I did not ask for this cross, but it's the cross that we have. And whenever you have a cross you didn't ask for, it's the cross you have anyway. You should believe that one came from God, whatever it is. It's straight up from God. You can't say it's not. You, you, you can't say why. Don't try to diagnose, you know, what part of Southeastern America sinned wrongly in the wrongest possible way that brought that hurricane along. I mean, don't do that. That's, that's nonsense. But the birth pains of a fallen creation, well, what they should do is they should point you back to where you know you always can find fault, which is straight inside your own heart. There's always someone to blame there. Or you're a liar. <laughs> Call it to your face. Yeah, sucker. Yeah, there's always darkness in your heart. So to look at all of this as the Lord curbing you is not narcissistic, unless you believe you're the only one going through it and there's not a communion of people with you also going through it. But that thou, you, plural, has a cross that God has given us, and the only purpose the Christian God does such things is that we might better see the truth. That, that, that the blind covering of our eyeballs might be lifted and return to what, well, what he says. So things are never going to be the same again. Good. I hope that means more word of God in your life. So what it's meaning for me. What was so great about American life four months ago that is not better now? And if you're going to say, well, there were some people who weren't dead, I'm going to ask, are you a Christian? Because Christians know that people die and Christians really don't want death. We try to stop it when we can, but neither do we make it our agenda to live in a world without it. Especially not in such a way that actually brings harm to others. And when you might end up causing more death by shutting down your economy than by letting a virus kill a percentage of your herd evolutionists. <laughs> well, 
at a certain point, law is going to take over again in its own equal reaction. And the people that are dying and hurting aren't going to let you do it anymore. I'm going to bank on this. Shapiro said this too. I live in a free country. That means I believe I can trust my neighbor. That's where I'm going to start. Yeah? That's what I'm going to do. And that's what I'm going to preach as your civil friend. Yeah? I don't think it's all wrong. I'm pretty sure Romans 13 says the same thing. I'm pretty sure Jeremiah has the same vision for us. Seek the good of the city in which you dwell, for in its welfare you will find your own. Marry. Have kids. Build houses. Even though you're going to leave in 70 years. Plan, plan to go back well. Well in the faith. Well in the faith. Well in the faith. All right. So, so, so moving from there, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this next one. Um, mirror neurons and zoom. But I want to throw it out there to you, especially because of what I just did. Okay? What I just did, this is going to be a little awkward, is I've now gotten significantly closer to you than most human beings at all for a while. Right? Yeah. And I did that just to demonstrate it. That was kind of gross, probably. Um, but from here, it wasn't gross, right? From here, it's kind of like, okay. I got closer to the cameras. all I did. And that is a, a, a strangely powerful thing to reckon with. Think about it this way. Again, like you've spent weeks seeing less people than you're used to, maybe not even seeing family and friends at all. And now I'm, I feel like I'm only a few feet away from you. Like I'm well within the six foot mark, right? And I'm probably within three feet of you in some way, unless you're just listening. Okay. But if you're watching, so this interfaces with a concept that has to do with something called mirror neurons that I learned about in a book called uh, Phanocracy that I can recommend at this point. I'm not finished with it yet, but it's really good at studying the human network connection phenomenon of the internet. Again, I've, and I've wrestled with this el elsewhere before, um, the word fan has this like the pietistically denigrated feeling to it, right? Like, oh, fan is bad. Don't be a fan. Don't have fans. You know, that's, that's evil. Or, but but this the terminology that's being used to study the effect of people listening to each other online. <laughs> Like people listen to their fans and they don't listen to people that they're not fans of. We don't have a better word for it. In any case, in this book, which is very intellectually, scientifically stimulating, I, I think, one of the things they're talking about is the idea of mirror neurons. <clears throat> and this has to do with human communication. That when we look at each other in conversation, not just listen, but, but, but look, say at a dinner table or whatnot, we have automatic responses that are built in which enable us to communicate non-verbally with each other. And some of it has to do with mirror reflections or mirror reactions. Um, uh, that if I reach for my fork, you will likely reach forward for something else as well. Or if I reach at my nose to get food or food in my nose, right? My teeth to get food, whatever my mustache, um, then, then you might, you know, do something. Or if I turn my head, you would look. We do this uh, natively. Uh, if, from my understanding of autism, by the way, and other such spectrum uh, uh, diagnoses, is that that's what's missing, is the, is the awareness that that's happening, okay? And different people have different levels of that, and I'll even tell you about how I think. I'm maybe a little shy a few marbles on that one, but, <laughs> uh, uh, but, but I can observe it. I can see it 
the book talks about it. Scientists can observe it and see it now, right? These these automatic mirror responses. And then what is being demonstrated is that you can you can do this through a screen, right? That that the and oh, oh this is the other piece to put it. So this has to interface with an idea of proximity. So if I see you on a stage 100 feet away, I'm probably not even going to be influenced by your by the mirror neuron effect at all, right? Uh, I would have to be on stage with you to have that start to happen, which is why if someone goes on stage with somebody, it's like this amazing experience, right? It's because you're getting to mirror their thing. And when that starts to happen, you, you, you're sharing real emotions. There's like this uh, emotional interface that goes on. And you know this, every conversation does this or every event or run into somebody does this. And this isn't woo-woo, right? This isn't like auras or garbage like that. This is just humans running into each other. <clears throat> so uh, what television enables us to do is to mimic that so that you really are having this like rather intimate relationship with me right this moment if you're watching this. It feels that way in your psyche, your subconscious, which is why if you ever saw me, you'd feel like you knew me. And I might have no idea who you are, <laughs> right? Because it doesn't flow two ways. And what? why am I saying this? I want to draw your attention to the utter power that screen media just grabbed in this civilization more than we had before. Unbelievable. Real ultimate power. Yeah, that kind of thing, right? Power of grace gold. It's beyond. I don't even know. We have so underestimated the power for this tool to tell us how to think let alone what to think. And right now, we're all lonelier than we've ever been, and this tool uh, gives those who feel proximately close a, a an influence of proximity and, what, uh, relatedness, friendship, network, connectedness, truth, news. Be wary, my friends. Be wary of me. Beware everybody else that's on a screen right now. If you trust the testimony of God, the testimony, excuse me, if you trust the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. Just be wary of this tool. It's just a powerful tool. We underestimate it. Um, and then uh, this has a little bit to do with, you know, so if I have to run a meeting as a pastor in a Zoom meeting, that means I'm going to be on screen more than everybody else. I've got the professional equipment. I'm going to look better. You know what that does? It gives me more power than I had before. So everybody just needs to know this right now. Like power is not bad. Abuse of power is bad. When does power get abused? When we don't know it's there. <laughs> when we pretend it's not. Uh, when we don't have clear organization and uh, check on that power. So check yourself as you listen to me and others. Um, and, and maybe interface your video watching with some listening alone and or some, some good old fashioned reading. I, I highly recommend it. Speaking of that, then let's do something substantial here this morning. We are at 9.09. I don't know if I'm on schedule. Maybe, maybe. I'd love to look at your comments more, but we got so much good stuff to get to here, including your comments from last week. But I want to give you Psalm 37. This one's a little long and I want to give it all to you. So I'm going to go a little fast and I am going to at times, I'm just going to assume you know what it means, even though you could, you know, on any of the Psalms, you can go so deep on this stuff, right? You can go really into, into word choice and how it, it, how it, I've said interface too many times this morning, how it interfaces uh, with um, other parts of the Old Testament, Torah and whatnot. So uh, I'm not going to be doing as much of that here. 
But the whole thing just seems to speak to the Christian who's a little worried right now about the world outside his window. It just, it just is, in fact, the truth for the one in that situation. Okay? So, do not... Is it a command, like you, f- you go to hell if you don't do it? I don't think so. I think this is more of a proclamation. It's, more, it's news. It's more like there is no reason to fret because of evil doers, because of those who are evil. And there's certainly no reason to envy people who are getting stuff by doing wrong. So is that why you're so concerned about everything? All the politics? Are you concerned about their evil doing and maybe even thinking I could do a better job if I was there? Because all of that, like the grass, is very shortly going to turn brown. And I'm growing again now. It's the worst part of summer. <laughs> I need less lawn in my world. Uh, uh, but you just cut it away. Cut it down throw it away, right? Flowers. And the tulips are up for a moment. Green plants, they will soon die away. This is the way that wicked men are, the Bible says. And so you might do well, are allowed to, are free to trust in Yahweh, the Lord, Jesus, the Christ. Trust in Yahweh and, and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. And you're like, but how, but how, but how? Yeah, yeah, okay, so slow down. Know where your true safety lies. Take delight in Yahweh. Take delight in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hello? Are you really still afraid of dying? Because if you're not afraid of dying, you can handle a pandemic differently than people who are afraid of dying. I was in a conversation about martyrdom with a friend recently. It was really good. I can't even remember where it was. It was such a... Oh, I I do now, but that's why I can't share it. Uh, It it was such a good moment, though, of of envisioning there's a time when the martyr's song is not one of cowering. There, There is no time when a martyr's song is one of cowering fear. There is only the time when the martyr's song is one of triumph, power, strength. I even said it was, oh, don't, don't pray for that too hard. <laughs> but he had me inspired, for sures. For sures. Super chat coming in from uh, Jenna Anakin Krinswalker. And we may have missed one of you last week. I was reformed. Not, uh, reformed. I was never reformed. I was reformed. That's a tangent and a tangent and a half. I was informed last week that I may have missed one of Jedi Knight Anakin Krinswalker's super chats. I was reformed, sort of, when I came back to Christianity, briefly reformed um anyhow looks like you got a little more here to say here i want to go don't want to go too far off on it but i'll read it there is a channel simon roper who's an english archaeology linguist i think you'll enjoy his religion and practicality with relation to how modern people treat prayer versus ancient people i would be very interested in that i will endeavor to remember to look into this uh uh, later a jedi knight that that does sound really fascinating and i will come back to you as well if i can but i want to stick with see distraction yeah, and that's where super chats. It's like maybe I should. Here's another one. Thank you, Chris. I'm just gonna drop you in since we already broke the broke the stride. A little commercial break, right? In, in the middle of trusting in the Lord. Uh, what about the proximity influence of a real book versus the proximity of a computer TV screen? All right, I'm gonna leave all super chats for a moment till the psalm's over, and I'll be back, and we'll we'll uh, we'll pick all that up. Yeah. 
Yeah, mammon. Thank you for the mammon. I appreciate it. Filthy lucre is welcome here, as much as it may detract from the things that are needful and eternal. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, my. So, four, verse 4, Psalm 37, take delight in Yahweh in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There is your certainty. He will give you the desires of your heart. I remember driving north on Interstate 5, I-5, California. And I'm pretty sure this was a visit to see the woman who would become my wife. After having spent time in Europe and meeting her the last couple weeks I was there. Um, and then learning she was back there. Anyway, I drove up. And back in those days, I was wanting to listen to a station called K-Love. You may or may not know K-Love, but uh, I listened to it. And for better or for worse, I don't know. But I know on that day, I had been trying to get it in the middle of, North, middle of Central Valley, California, not able to. And it really wasn't working. But it came in for the briefest glimmering moment. I, I, I kid you not. I, and I am not a mystic. Go read my books. I, I, for the faintest glimmering moment. In the middle of this straight freeway in, in Central Valley, California, if you don't know it, it's not Iowa, but it could be, um, <laughs> I finally get some music, and it's Caleb, finally, and all they give me is Psalm 37, verse 4, which I didn't even know where that verse was till this morning when I read this, this whole chapter again and saw it there. He will give you the desires of your heart. And at that moment, I thought of the woman I was going to visit. And the sun was shining, and I believe God was smiling on me with those words. And I look at them now, and I say, well, he was, Jonathan, he was. But maybe you, in your childish arrogance, thinking all that it was was, if I love God, God will give me what I want out of my life, maybe it's something more than you could possibly imagine at that age. Maybe by placing your delight into Yahweh, the Lord, the resurrected God of the Old Testament, man, and everlasting son. Yeah? Uh, in him, he will give you not the desires of your current heart. He's going to give you desires for your heart. Like good ones. The ones that are supposed to be there. The first one he's going to give you is to delight in the resurrection of Jesus Christ as an anchor and a hope and a unprecedented bit of good news for the world. Wouldn't you say? Commit your way, your path, the, the way language of the, of the Old Testament is so awesome. Uh, commit your path, your steps to Yahweh, and he will give you, excuse me, trust in him and he will do this. What will he actually do though? Now here's the desire that he's going to give you. He will make your righteousness reward uh, excuse me, I said that poorly. He will make your righteous reward. He will make your righteousness a reward that shines like the dawn. That's what he's going to do. Now think about that. All that means with the resurrection of the dead as well. And Jesus rising at dawn. And your promise to rise in Jesus, right? So the evil men are doing what? I'm worried. What? Well, you know what? Remember. Your righteous justification in Christ is already risen from the dead and is coming ever, ever so soon. Your righteousness shall shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. So be still before Yahweh. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to more evil. I mean, 
have you not been fretting? Have you not been fretting? I've been fretting. I'll tell you. I've been fretting. I got friends that are fretting to me. I try not to fret back. I try to, I try to do this back. I want to do this back more. I want to fret less. And I want to wait patiently for the Lord. Knowing that my righteous reward will shine like the dawn soon enough. I, I want to do that more. What do you think? Want to do that with me? And now here's, here's the worst hour of radio today. <laughs> we are going to wait for the Lord. I'm trying to make myself do this. I did it for a minute this morning. It's really hard. It's, it's so much harder than you think. And it, it's kind of like, uh, it's like a Christian mindfulness thing here. The Bible is really clear. You can see it in, in front of you. Verse 7, Psalm 37, verse 7 says, Be still before Yahweh and wait patiently for him. Okay, so I'm going to make this my 11th commandment for just a moment here. And imagine that it actually means I should do this sometimes. Just for the sake of, you know, trying to let the Bible influence me a little bit. And what happened is I started to think about that. And this has been going on longer than just this morning. And even this, the phrase, wait, wait for the Lord, because it shows up in the Psalms quite a bit, actually. Um, what I've been pondering is how much actually doing what it says, waiting for the Lord Jesus to come back any minute now. If I were to do that, just wait for the Lord for, for like a minute or five or, or 10. If I were to wait for the Lord for 10 minutes, like I did nothing else, I'd be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Okay, 10 minutes waiting for Jesus. Okay, right? If I did that, that would technically be called mindfulness. That, that's the definition of what mindfulness is. Like that's all it is. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's interesting. And then this, it got me thinking about what's so hard about mindfulness. One of the hardest things about mindfulness is that when you sit down to just sit there for a minute and breathe and do nothing else but breathe, just for a minute, just do it for a minute, just breathe. The first thing that happens is you have all these things you should be doing. Like a million things. Well, I didn't realize there was dirt in that corner. I got to do that now. You, everything piles out of you. You want to go be active. The point of, of the mindfulness as a Eastern mystical First article, practice. The point of it is to not get up and go do those things. And so practice telling yourself no, <laughs> and maybe even it doesn't matter. Two things we don't tell ourselves nearly enough. And if you have to sit somewhere for a minute and do nothing but stare and no, you're just sitting there for a minute waiting, uh, you'll come up with plenty of reasons to have to learn to tell yourself no, and that you don't matter that much, and that it doesn't matter that much. It'll happen. Do it for 10 minutes. It'll happen even more. Now, the thing is, so if you're going to wait for the Lord, like literally for a minute or five, the same thing's going to happen to you. Only now it takes on a whole heightened dimension. It does become in some ways a second article reality, which is that now if you get up and go do the thing, in some ways you're confessing that, well, you really don't believe Jesus is coming back. Because if you really believe Jesus was coming back in the next 10 minutes, you would not be getting up to go do the thing you're going to go do. Right? You follow me on this? And all I'm saying, I don't, don't do 10 minutes. Just do one. Don't let yourself fall at 10 minutes and then convince yourself you're not a Christian anymore because your conscience can do that to you. Don't do that. That's not the point. Okay. The point is not that if you can do this, you're really a Christian. Uh, the point is to find out how hard it is to do this. And how much, how much whatever mindfulness would have to teach us is already there in the scriptures if we just take them seriously. And if you were to just wait for the Lord for a minute, today 
Like look at the sky, sit there and wait, set a, set a timer. I would, I would advocate daily that that one minute would become so valuable to you. You wouldn't even be able to believe how valuable it would, how valuable it would be in, in a month from now. This is my thought. Uh, be still and wait for the Lord. Uh, we have so many problems with this phrase. So many phrases, works righteousness is just like the, the antithesis of this, right? It's like the last thing we do is be still. But one must believe at least. It doesn't say that here, sir. It just says the Lord's coming. So don't fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked, wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed. Those who hope in Yahweh will inherit the land. So again, I mean, look at your window and think about it that way. Right now, what are you worried about uh, that I talked about earlier today? Government, not government, food, not food, viruses, not viruses, death, not death. What are you worried about? The evil are going to be destroyed. You know that. And those who hope in Jesus' resurrection, well, you're going to inherit the earth. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land. Does that sound familiar did Jesus say this stuff? Did, did, did Jesus, when Jesus was talking, do you think maybe he was like quoting the Old Testament a lot? Like constantly? And if you only read the red letters, you wouldn't know that. It's true. Uh, the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Notice the promissory note of this beatitude, by the way. Beatitudes are promises, not commands. The meek will inherit the land. Those of you who are weak, who have nothing, who watch the wicked win, afraid not, you're going to inherit peace and prosperity when Jesus comes back. The wicked plot against the justified. Expect the world to hate you for this, by the way. The wicked plot against the justified. They gnash their teeth at them. They don't want, they don't want the Lord's Supper to start up again, do they now? Just you wait. I'm going to tangent here. Just you wait. I will tell you that as soon as churches start meeting together again, there will be a war against the chalice. There might be a war against the supper altogether in non-Lutheran congregations. Lutheran congregations at least will be trying to keep the supper somehow. Probably. Most of us. But there's going to be a very ignorant desire to remove the chalice. And I bet you there'll be people who even call for other ways of doing this. Just, just be ready for it. And don't get mad when they say it. you got to win these people over to your side. Okay? But just, just get ready. This is the devil's opportunity to try to shatter us. To divide us so that we're afraid of death so much we will not die together by drinking from the same cup. I mean, once in our life, really, shouldn't we? A, it reminds me of, there's a Sherlock Holmes uh, movie with Robert Downey Jr. in it. It's the first one where there's this, like secret cult meeting. And what do they got to do? They, they drink from a cup together to acknowledge their unity. Same cup, big chalice. It's, it's all sorts of evil, but it is... The cup of Jesus that is ours, that is given to you, the wicked hate that. They plot against it. They gnash their teeth against it. The demons, they do. They hate it. They know what it is. Why do you think so much of Protestant Christianity doesn't believe in the sacraments? You think that was God's doing? Jeez. Was the Bible's doing? No, it wasn't. 
for goodness sakes. The wicked plot against the justified. They gnash their teeth at them, but the Lord laughs at the wicked. I love this. I love this. I remember seeing it's a different, different verse. He who sits in the heavens laughs. I remember seeing that verse quoted on a t-shirt with Jesus' smiley, happy face. Jesus is a chipper guy. His shirt is so great. And you go look at it. It's like he who sits in the heavens laughs in derision. <laughs> you know, I hear the Lord laughs at the wicked. He knows their day is coming. Now, this could take its own, it does need its own little bit. And again, I, I'm sorry, it's the Bible, so we have to pause and pay attention to it rather than move on. How does this mesh with Jesus loving? How does the Lord laugh at the wicked and in this laughter, kind of scoff. Well, he's, you know, he's going to hell. <laughs> like, how does Jesus do that? Um, how do we do that? And then also love our neighbor as ourselves, love our enemy, all this. And it starts with believing that the word wicked means what it looks like it says, but we really don't let it mean that when we read it. We, we soften it tremendously because we know it refers to humans, and by virtue of us being humans, uh, we know that that impinges on us, and so as much as we might say, yes, we're generally wicked and uh, all this kind of stuff, but like, like to be so wicked that God Almighty would scoff at your demise, we don't normally mean that, right? But that is what the word means. There's not a better word for it in English. Evil. I mean, how do you, dagnasty evil? Is that, do we need, do we need to go there? I mean, you know, there's no better way to say it. But we, we soften it though because of our proximity, our, our need to soften it for ourselves. So it makes it hard for us to look at this, but I'm going to go back to David again here. That great moment when he stands before Goliath and, and Goliath says to him, and I'm going to cut off your head, feed your body to the birds, little boy, with your sticks. And, and, and David, David laughs back. He scoffs at Goliath. You come at me with a javelin and a spear, but you're an uncircumcised dog. I come at you in the name of Yahweh. I'm going to cut off your head. David knew Goliath's day was coming whenever God decided to act, and David just believed that God had already decided to act in the covenant of circumcision, which he, in fact, had. So now God has continued that action in the covenant of circumcision made the flesh of all mankind in Jesus Christ, who was cut off from the land of the living and yet rose from the dead restoring the flesh to what it was supposed to be to begin with. I mean, there's so much you can do with that, right? You go run, theologian, run on all that. Those are puns. We're just a little too Victorian to deal with it. But the point then is that when your real enemy is seen for what your real enemy is, you have every right as a justified one to scoff at him. Now, in this age, that's going to involve a certain modicum of patience and humility, to be sure. But there's a time when you can just laugh at the evil. And you just point, the, the Lord is laughing at everything we're doing to stop COVID in the belief that we're going to stop COVID. Because all he has to do is change it. 
<laughs> again. So when we set ourselves up against him, he laughs like a father who laughs. I, I, my, my son, love it. We're doing our walks almost every day. I missed like two days. I felt so bad. And then my kids are putting out a paper every week. And in the paper, front page, it says, please don't let weekly or daily walks die. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm the only one that's been missing this thing. <laughs> the newspaper's calling me out. It's great. So my son and I are getting ready to go on this walk. And normally we take a ball of some kind. And I love my basketball. So I'm always shooting a little basketball right before we go on the walk. And he, my son's eight. He goes... Let's go. You and me one-on-one. I taught him to dribble like four days ago. Okay. Let me one-on-one. I'm, I just, <laughs> I did this. The Lord laughs at the, it wasn't wicked. He was just, he didn't know how bad it was. And the wicked don't know how bad they are. My boy, I beat him 10-0. I scored five dunks. He, I let him almost get one shot off before I blocked it. Otherwise I stole the ball every time. Cause son, if you're going to say you and me, let's go. I'm just going to tell you. I'm not taking prisoners or respecting persons on this court. You know, he's got, so you want to step with me or you want me to teach you? You want me to teach you? That's different. You didn't ask for that. You, you asked me to teach you. I taught you a different lesson. Yeah, that's the court. All this being said, God's view of the wicked is so not afraid of them that when, when the wickedness of this age, devil, world, our flesh, inside of you too, right? Whenever, wherever, it raises its head against him as if to say, oh, we will knock you from your throne. Uh, he, he just goes, pff, pff, pff. <laughs> and he waits because he knows their day is coming. So, so the wicked draw the store. They bend the bow. They bring the poor and the needy down. They slay those whose ways are upright, right? So what, what's going on? How much government overreach is going on right now? Is the poor actually getting hurt right now? They're going to end up on a welfare state, which is just the agenda that's being pushed already anyway. Isn't that kind of the way that it all goes? And if you're on the other side, you're like, no, that's not how it is. You misread marks. Okay, I misread marks, whatever. It seems bad to a lot of us, but the thing is, as a Christian, this would be effectively like trying to get government control of food, right? That would be using the sword to bring down the poor and the needy, right? So am I bothered by that? Yes. Well, here's the thing. Verse 15, their swords will pierce their own hearts and their bows will be broken. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of a little suffering? I hate to tell you that life's not fair and that you live on earth of the fallen Adam. Okay, the suffering's here and you can make others suffer so that you don't have to. And we who live in that top 1% of this nation, and if you are in this nation, you're in that top 1%, no matter how poor you are. You think that we, think that we don't have to have a reckoning at some point, at the very least for the abortions. It's not a direct punishment. It's just the way it is. It's always this way. Nothing's changed except for our perspective. So that we're like, oh, borders are a good idea. We need them for a moment. Yes. I'm hoping to write a piece for Monday's newsletter uh, similar to and based on something I read in Wired Magazine about old stones set in Japan to mark the highest the water ever went. So that whatever else might come or go, generations would know where the floods were. So that's where we are. And this is the fact of the stone. 
that all that's being done out there with authority is only going to kill itself and hurt the poor, to be sure. But this is a, look at, look at verse 16, it's so glorious. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked, for the power of the wicked will be broken. But Yahweh upholds, again, the righteous, the justified. I didn't explain that earlier, but you just have to see that the word justified and the word righteous are the same word in both Greek and Hebrew. And in English, we like split it in half for some reason and, you, and, and have it be different words all over the place when it, it, it really shouldn't be. Because justified and righteousness, it, it, that's, what, that's, what the God, that's the good news. Is that God's favor toward you the fact that he is favorable toward you has justified you. Huh? You are fully righteous now. That's what he did with his blood on the cross. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. So, so that's a powerful, marvelous thing to, to, to cling to while the wicked run around trying to save the world with swords. And so the blameless spend their days, verse 18, under the Yahweh's care. Keep going. He really means this. You got you to believe this today with me, please, Christians. Are you listening? Are you watching? Is it COVID? Is it not? Does it matter? Can, can we believe the, the blameless, that is, those who are in Christ, Christians, spend their days under Yahweh's care. God's taking care of Christians. And their inheritance will endure forever, that what is truly yours will be there forever. So, okay, well, I'm watching all this other stuff die, then right. So that's the things that are not forever. The only one that's dying that is forever is your body, and even that's not entirely true, because in Jesus Christ, you have another body. The blameless spend their days under the Lord's care. Their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster, they will not wither. In times of famine, they will enjoy plenty. And this connects to, and I'm finding it in the Psalms, so I'm trying, I'm striving to believe it. It's a promise, though. David just said it in the previous Psalm, I think, 36. I have never seen, I've seen many things. I have never seen the righteous begging for bread. This justifies the Christian. He's never seen the Christian have to beg for bread as a life. Okay. Um, there's a lot to that. I think there's a lot to that, but it's worth remembering when you get worried right now about what. So where's the food's going? The supply chains and all this. The blameless spend their days under Yahweh's care. Their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster, they will not wither. In times of famine, they will enjoy plenty. But the wicked will perish. Though the Yahweh's enemies are like the flowers of the field, they will be consumed. They, they will go up in smoke. They will borrow and not repay. Well, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Now, what do you mean to all this stimulus package and stuff like that? And they will give, uh, the, but the righteous, oh, this is, but the, so the wicked will borrow and not repay. The righteous, the justified, will give generously. Even from the little the righteous has. The Christian has a little bit. That's enough. And I'm willing to share it. Don't steal it from me, please. Taxes, we can debate that, can't we now? But I'm happy to share it. The wicked, they borrow. They don't repay. Stimulus package, anybody. Monetary policy, whole different issue, but really not. Those the Lord blesses, those Yahweh blesses will inherit the land. Those he curses will be destroyed. Yahweh, he makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him, though he may stumble. That'd be you and me. He, you and me, will not fall. That's a promise, that's news. That's good news right there. For Yahweh upholds you with his hand. Hey, tell me I had a great song for these days. That's a great song for right now. All right, so we had a super chat. 
I got to get to the hogs as well. There's so much going on. Super chat from Anne-Marie. Thank you so much this morning for that. It's just straight up hello, and I appreciate it. And we had these other ones from earlier. Cafe Sola had a question about the proximity influence of a real book versus the proximity of a computer and a TV screen. So what you're getting into there, let's do a little camera change angle for a moment. What you're getting at there, Cafe Sola, um, is the analog digital question that Wolf Miller and I, you know, Everbook is our public wrestling with that in terms of, you know, I don't know, movement starting or whatever. But, but what we're really asking is, is just that, uh, does information change depending on the medium by which you receive it? And all science so far says pretty clearly, yup. <laughs> You know, and, 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 and this is where preaching even over the internet is not the same thing. Uh, this is where uh, div divine worship uh, online, you've changed the substance of it simply by putting it online. Does that not necessarily mean it's wrong, but it doesn't mean it's a different thing. And anybody who's paid any attention to media ecology at all would know this immediately as opposed to being the doofuses, forgive me, but we are, who just think it's not going to make any difference in the message. And, and it, it does, uh, which is why you can't just parrot and it's why you can't also just freelance. Uh, you really have to be well-formed for the medium and understanding the medium itself. Um, you know what I do not like is robocalls. I really don't. I've had less of them, but COVID has respiked them for some reason to me. I don't know why. That being said, okay, so, so uh, again, Chris, the, um, so then what is the change that takes place between analog paper and digital, anything that would be on your computer. And, and remember that in digital, there's different edges, different genres of ecology as well, whether it be visual, whether it be audio, or the, the great power of mixed media, which is, I mean, you could be your collage, right? But it can also be this, mixed media, audio and visual combined. It's a movie and it's talking, it's vulgar. And if you got that Easter egg, you're really good. The difference between paper, digital, however you want to look at it, is one that the, the court is out on what that difference really is and means. But we all know that it's different now, or we should. And so if you read a book on a Kindle, and if you read a book on a, as a book, they are a different intellectual experience by definition. And they may not be as widely diverse as, say, listening to the book as an audio book and reading it, but they are diverse. And we should recognize that. And there's going to be value in both directions. Every This is so key to first article thinking. You got to get this. You have to have this. Every tool is a good tool. There's no bad tools. Every tool is a good tool. If you think you got a bad tool, you just haven't figured out what it's a tool for yet. Okay? That doesn't mean there's no trash. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that there are no evil tools. Guns don't kill people. People kill people with guns, sledgehammers, viruses. So uh, there is no, there's no evil tool. And so there is no evil form of communication. When I said earlier about church is that there are certain forms, mediums of communication that God established and instituted, do this in remembrance of me. Say these words out loud around this bread of wine. That would be very much a, like a form, right? Um, but we have a lot of freedom in this too. And the word of God clearly can, can go into both of these places. Um, so let me then just in that big, big world that you asked this question in, let me just say that I'm on the side right now of believing that when it comes to any type of actual thinking, paper is 
infinitely superior, infinitely superior than all that you can do on digital media. Um, if you're talking about your own personal thoughts, keeping track of them, judging them, throwing them away, <laughs> not having them build up to be so much that you, uh, it's just a, it's a mess again, right? Paper is superior. It is not perfect. And you can absolutely turn into a, 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 a pile, right? Very easily. But digital, the promise of digital is get rid of the piles a little bit, right? And what I've found is the digital piles not only get bigger faster, but they're worse to go through. And so I believe firmly, again, uh, in the value of, see, it's not proximity in the book, though, at that point, although maybe it is. There's something ethereal about a Kindle, right? So, so what you're looking at in the words are less permanent as symbols. They're just symbols. All words are symbols or spells, however you want to see it. Um, all words are symbols, but they're less permanent symbols, which brings up a whole other question. I mean, this is just a delightful thing for me to even ask this question and to be able to ask this question outside of the seminary. I remember a professor at one point being asked about, you know, hey, hey professor, is it bad that every week we spend mammon, stewarded money that's given by God for the good of the world, we spend it to print the everlasting and infinite word of God and then throw it away every week. Is that impious? And like my ears went like, that's such a good question. I love this question. Oh, it's so exciting to have these kinds of questions. Like, I, you know, I don't know. I, I'd rather be called impious and change because of a good question, right? Uh, than, than be trapped in impiety. Um, there's something about the substantial reality of a book. So when you bind it, it's a whole different level of that paper medium, right? I'm not saying that get rid of your bulletins, but it's worth pondering, isn't it? Um, is, uh, the point is that to show how there, in the substance itself, substance itself, there is a more lasting nature. And uh, a book does do that. That's not really why I advocate paper, though. Um, I'm, I'm advocating paper at this point because of the ability to move it away from my screen, <laughs> away from email. I, I would even be willing to say that my entire crusade to become as analog as I can be is a crusade to get away from the email inbox. It, it really is. I went in to send one thing yesterday. An hour later, I got away. I was just going to send something. My whole project I was working on, I was done for the day now. Anyway, well, enough of that. That wasn't your question. Is it just proximity? No, I don't think it is. Although proximity does have something to do with it, along with the substantialness of it. How long does it last? How does it stick around for? Um, and again, the recommendation from earlier from uh, the Jedi Knight, the good Jedi, uh, to check out uh, Simon Roper, Religion and Practicality, Modern Prayer versus Ancient People. That sounds fascinating. If you want that, anybody else, go for it. I did see there was at least another two other Super Chats. We'll get through these real fast here. Psalm 49.5 says this, Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me? Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. Yep, and we live in a civilization that actually believes that about themselves and is busy trying to stop themselves from perishing even though they believe they get stronger by perishing and they should kill as many of their babies as possible. Yet we're not going to let people die. What? And I'm crazy. And I'm illogical. Okay, sure. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to cook my food and raise my kids and pray 
that you don't ruin my neighborhood. Golly, world, come on. I'm going to serve as many people as I can. I'm going to trust this, though, like you said, right? Wow. Yeah. Uh, But what I loved about Psalm 37 there was the encouragement to not stop living that it gave. To believe that my neighborhood is still of value. My city is still of value. In theory, my state is still of value. And and my country still has a great deal of value. I really do wonder about the state's going to, I don't know what they're going to do. You can't, you can only go bankrupt for so long. The U.S. can print more money because of the military, but the Illinois can't do that. What? what, Oh, they just don't even know. They just, they really don't even know. More from, from Willard here. Is this the same one? No, he gave me another one. Thank you so much, Willard. Psalm 49, 15 continues, but God will ransom my soul. From the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. That's nice. From the power of Sheol. We got to learn. We got to learn Sheol. There's certain words we should just have, I think. All right. So there's still so much good stuff this morning. Uh Uh-oh. There we went. I want to talk to you about hell's cow killer killers. I read a fascinating article. Let's see here. I even had, oh, I lost the picture. I had a picture. I read a fascinating article about Hindu biker gangs that beat up poor Muslims for eating cow. Wired Magazine. I, you know, I'm pretty confident after having Wired for three months now, and I've, I've not read it cover to cover, but I glanced at it. It's a, it's a well-designed magazine. If you're going to have a magazine, this is how you do it. There's no question in my mind about that, LCMS. Um, this, is, this is incredible, okay? But it even got me thinking, we need a mad Christian magazine. Let's just put that in the no pile. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they, they definitely are liberal. So I, I was asking, you know, is it Newsweek? Is it Time? Yeah, neither at all. And, and certainly more helpful, I think. Um, I, I, as much as, as the agenda doesn't hide, I wish they'd just be more even handed, I guess. Um, uh, you know, cause they, they ostracize those who are on their side through the pigeonholing of, of arguments. Um, and I'll just give you, I'll give you one example here. This is at the end of the story, uh, when he's talking about, uh, some of the, the violence that's gone on in India just before COVID shut down, I'll tell you a little bit about it as, as we get through here, but he's talking about it. There's a sentence. He says this, he says, Trump was heaping praise on Modi and listening to the Indian Navy band play Elton John's. Can you feel the love tonight? While 53 people were killed. Most of the Muslims in, in some riots that were going on. Now the way that said Trump was heaping praise on Modi, as opposed to what if it said the U S president was heaping praise on Modi? Cause you know what? Any other president who would have been visiting at this time would have been doing the exact same thing in that place. And so what you have here is your liberal bias, you know, just getting in the way of a real, a real good point, which is that this is scary and dangerous what's going on over there. And we should really, as the global uh, society, be aware of it, you know, and and maybe realize that when you say jihad is bad, when a Hindu biker game warrior hears this, he says, yes, it is. Let's go kill some Muslims. Right. And so we got to be like, wow, there's a lot of ways to be misunderstood as we try to deal with very violent religious groups in the world of whom Nazis are not the only ones. Muslims are not the only ones, those who are jihadists. And, and biker gang Hindus are, are part of the team. So India is the world's, let's see here. So I, I, I thought I had a picture for you. We're going to come back over here. India is the world's largest democracy. I always knew that. I tell you that in grade school. Some people listen in geography, some people don't. I did. 
uh, I didn't like it per se, but it just kind of sunk in. I remember India, I always think, well, it was the most populous nation on the planet. It was, it was a fertile crescent. You know, I, it wasn't fertile crescent, was it? In Indus, Indus River, Indus River Valley. And oh, China, ancient China, big India. Okay, but no, well, the U.S. is bigger and Russia's scary, right? Like that, that was kind of sort of like the eight-year-old, 10-year-old media brainwashing of, of it all. It never really crossed my mind. Like we, we, most populous people on the planet, that's crazy. And and there's so many people there. India is so big. It's so huge. We can't even envision this we go to new york like it's crowded no <laughs> no go to go to uh go to mexico city right um or go to go to delhi new delhi uh so india is huge it's got a lot of people and i always wondered you know, so that gandhi okay so this is a gandhi thing okay peace yay india is happy peace oh and the hippies go there and yoga is from there it must be a great place it's probably really safe that's why people go all the time well maybe not as much uh, there's, there's regions you certainly don't go to uh, in the Northwest, bordering with Pakistan, two nuclear powers bordering each other, they hate each other, over Hindu-Muslim relations, and this very thing I'm going to talk about. So, so, so um, it's, it's, it's intense, what's, what's going on over there. Um, so what's happened is in the past five years, if I just summarize this thing, 10 years, there has been a growing movement of... Uh, well, I, I don't want to call it Hindu as if this is what Hinduism always teaches, okay? If there is a religion that can teach anything it wants to whenever it wants to, it's Hinduism. It just will just turn on a dime if it wants to, okay? It's, just, it's that big. It's that, it's that pluralistic. Yeah. Uh, but there's been rising in the political leadership of freed from British only 50 years ago, colonial, colonial status, India, now democratic, mostly Hindu, split with some Muslims. There's fights and jihads going on. There were at least all this. Okay, so over time, the, the political movements that have gained power in there, let's just say they're a lot like how you might view Trump if he actually were what the media were saying he is. I mean, Trump's a reformed Democrat. He's a, everything he did before he became who, who he is now, and he didn't change that many things about himself except his pro-life stance. Everything else he did, he did as a Democrat. There's nothing Republican about, about him per se. So you know, but think of what he's accused of being. With all the ties to alt-right, which are not, are there alt-right people who follow Donald Trump? Yes. Do people follow Donald Trump because he's alt-right? No. I don't follow Donald Trump. I, I do on Twitter. I, I haven't. I didn't vote for him. I was in a move last time. Am I going to vote this time? Golly, Joe Biden, really? Anyway, that's a whole different thing. The point is that we can't even have a conversation about how leaders grab power objectively because we think ours is when he's the only guy not grabbing power right now. When he could be with a national shutdown. How on earth does the the, the totalitarian dictator incumbent? Not grab power right now. I don't know. Governors, you should do it. You know, and all the governors grab as much power as they can. Right? It's for pity's sakes. How's that not happen? The point is that what we've been afraid of over here may chance have been indeed happening in, in India and particularly in the cities where these groups like Bajrang Dal, a radical Hindu youth militia waging a vigilante crusade against cow slaughter actually has guys in office. Okay? Like this is this is like um, this is narcos India style. 
kind of thing, right? Only they don't want to like sell drugs. They want to make sure you worship the cows. And this is what is really, I mean, my, my friends who are Christians who like don't want us to talk about Islam and jihad being a bad thing because we're afraid of what might happen to them. I, I, I get this with you, but I think what we have to understand is that all religions that are false religions are inherently violent at their highest level. When they get power, they will use it to try to force you to believe what they believe. This is where the freedom of religion is a particularly glorious secular right that is maybe not inalienable in history, but has been nice to have put into our constitution for the moment, right? To assemble, what was that? Where'd that go? I don't know. But you see my point, I hope. Which is that there are false religions in the world and they can be vicious. And this idea of coexisting just because that is a religion too. It's a religion called progressive Puritanism. And uh, it wants to be a city on a hill so bad. Oh, everyone's going to want to be like us. Um, it is unprepared. It is unprepared for the intellectual fight with real religion. And as Christianity in the West has attached our wagon to progressive Puritanism, uh, we have become less able to resist, so we've lost so many. But now you see the, for the war front the way that it is. People, a religion, a religion that within its ranks, at like a really high, like this is our national religion level. <laughs> Golly. I mean, it's in here. This is their national... Hold on, hold on. I, I'll read you this one. This is not everybody there, but this is the movement's ideo ideologue, okay? The foreign races in Hindustan must either adopt the Hindu culture and language, must learn to respect and hold and reverence Hindu religion, or may stay in the country wholly subordinated to the Hindu nation, claiming nothing, deserving no privileges, far less any professional treatment, not even citizens' rights. Hinduism. Peace, love, and happiness, Hinduism. Any religion that believes it's true and doesn't teach the forgiveness of sins as its primary doctrine is going to use the sword to convert you at some point. They're doing it to each other in the most populous place on the planet. Christians are there barely. We're not even in the conversation. This guy um, who did the beatings, this was really fascinating. This one guy, uh, I don't have his name well known enough here, but uh, one of the leaders, he, he did this initial beating not too long ago, uh, whether it was a year or so, and uh, went to jail for six months, got out. And during that time, the election had happened to this guy, Modi had been put in, who's now you know, the prime minister or whatever, in charge, right? Um, so when he was released, everything he'd done was more or less okay now. And he was elevated to positions of power and he became instantly famous in, in the most populous place in the world. Um, him and his guys who ride motorcycles around chasing uh, guys like this. Hold on. Where is he? Shoot. I had it a moment ago. There you go. Chasing guys like this, right? Chasing him down to beat him, you know, to stone him almost to death. Uh, this particular guy, as the story goes, uh, has injuries that are with him to this day from that beating and uh, can go nowhere for recourse uh, with his government that is, in fact, going to prejudice itself against you because you're a Hindu. So, like, like think about that, right? That's out there happening right now. The article uh, also, I mean, it, 
it doesn't really get much happier. The guy sounds like he really has, he has lived this. He knows what it's about. He's afraid about the future. He, he blames Trump, of course, uh, which is just weird. Um, out of place in such a good article. Otherwise, uh, in late November in India, they were beginning to put into place the national citizens register. Hmm. Uh, the bill's point was to get everybody listed, but it's going to list, you know, your religion, right? Uh, and the question is whether this will set up a path to different versions of citizenship. And, and protests erupted. Uh, those protests were going on again while Trump was there. Uh, a few days after the violence in Delhi, the anchor of a national primetime Hindi language news show devoted an hour to discussing the dangers of all the various kinds of jihad. Right? So Muslims die, then they preach against jihad on national news. Uh, yeah, it's like Fox News, right? Well, okay, so don't just trust it implicitly. Um, as it happened, one nightmare is postponed another because on March 24th, Right. As all this has happened in India, uh, the whole country goes into the shutdown for COVID-19. I want you to know, I want you to understand this. I, I, just, I want you to put this in your religion pipe and smoke it until you don't know anything else anymore. There are people in this world who will beat you to death or almost to death, take away everything you have, not let you own property, take away all of your rights because you killed a cow that you owned and raised. And this is their religion. It's called Hinduism. When you see the yin and yang symbol and talk about karma, that's this religion. When you're a vegan, strangely, that's Seventh-day Adventism, but it's not unlike the vegetarianism that is also in this false diabolical religion that claims it's about love and happiness and then, again, isn't. Now, someone's going to say, but Christianity, did we? Have we? I'm listening to a book on the Templars. It's fantastic, by the way. Uh, really interesting. Where, I'll just say it this way. As soon as the debate at the start of the book about whether Christians could fight comes up, let's just say that they didn't bother to read the Bible very carefully at that point. Uh, it, there are times when a Christian could take up arms. And actually, as I listen to it, it's really fascinating the Knights Templar themselves, particularly, not necessarily the Crusades, but the, the founding of the Knights Templar was a pretty amazingly just thing. They just wanted to protect pilgrims. Uh, so it's kind of interesting. Anyhow, the point in, in, I don't know, I don't know if there is a point to Templar history other than it's just cool. The point is that there are false religions in this world that are not just stories. They're not just ideas. They're not just competing claims for Sunday's club entertainment style. They're ideas that have consequences. And some of them say God is like this. And so you'd better. Now, Christianity actually says that God is like this. And so you better not kill, better not murder, right? Better not steal, better not commit adultery because God will do something about it. Well, these other religions tend to say, because we'll do something about it. Just so you know, Americans, all of you. That First Amendment is a valuable thing. What's going to happen to India? What happens if India becomes a Hindu nation that declares war on Pakistan? Where's Russia go? Are we in World War III already? I don't know. I am wearing my tinfoil hat, however. We talked about it earlier. This is my magic stocking cap. It keeps all the brainwaves of the devil from getting to me. No, it really doesn't at all. 
Nothing does that but the Word of God, which is the Bible, which in theory is why we're here. What I want to get to uh, may not be directly that. We'll see. It depends on what you were talking about last week and the week before, because we did miss that one in the comments section. So if you've been talking all morning, you're like, why isn't he addressing the comments? I'm sorry. I'm trying. I'm trying. Way to preach and read at the same time is difficult. Guys try all the time. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Someone will go through all these comments with a fine tooth, loving comb. They'll get rid of all the ticks and mites. They'll put on a little bit of medicine. And then on they'll be, just like this, as you can you can take your time and mock my strepitus. I love it. <laughs> so I did that Good Friday uh, live stream for what it was worth. And I really was happy how it turned out. But my strepitus, my loud noise at the end. Yeah, no, that that really was not the closing of the tomb and the ripping of the curtain, Jonathan. That didn't quite do it. Yeah, but it was a book. It was a book. Yeah, but yeah, it didn't, didn't do it. You should have practiced. Yeah, I should have. I should have. Okay, so you all chimed in on this one. Uh, Glenn, thank you, Glenn, uh, says, Pastor Fisk, for what it's worth, my daughter jumped at the strepitous sound, so it wasn't that bad. Yeah, sometimes when I drop a paperclip, I jump too, you know, but yeah, you know, God, God bless. Yes, Sarah says, I jump too. Thank you. I'm glad it, it served its purpose. It, I just, I just... You know, 80-20. I like, I like to push for that 100% value, and uh, um, especially with the strepitus. You don't want an 80-20 strepitus. You want a 100% strepitus. Hey, and Darth Mick says, our pastor missed the stone altar and it hit the carpeted floor. <laughs> That's pretty bad. Right. Hold on, I can do that one right here. Actually, that might have been better than mine was on the night. I used, I used the hymnal. Yeah, it was like that, right? I, ugh, blah. Anywho, uh, Lutherans and Solo Dea Gloria, John, our sacramentarian brother, uh, he says, uh, speaking of the five solas, why have I never heard Lutherans talk about glory to God alone? That's the one us Reformed fo- folks take our stand on. I know, because you use it to get rid of all the other ones. That's why we don't use it. <laughs> That's my answer. <laughs> It's, obviously, God's going to get all the glory. Uh, I'm pretty sure Christ alone sufficiently achieved that reality. If you want to put the one verse about Christ handing the kingdom back to the Father in 1 Corinthians into your like five solas, you can. But it, really, it's 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 Christ alone is the sufficiency, and he's just the explanation of what the other three, I should say the other three are explanations of him. So Christ alone is the reality that God has all the glory, and you're not getting any of it. It's in Jesus now. So Christ alone, you're done. Yeah, um, And Christ alone is coming to you in grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone, right? So, uh, you know, we don't go with the reformed one, the, the sacramentarian one that is used to uh, well, remove Jesus from the center of the whole thing inadvertently, uh, and yet strangely enough put the sovereign double superlapsarian election of God on top of all the theology you ever do, as opposed to say, I don't know, justification, which is what we try to do. So that does be why. Yeah, good question. I like um, I hope it's, I hope my spirit of jesting jiving is, uh, is not, uh, an hindrance to you. Uh, increasing biblical literacy. Becca says this, pastor, my fiance wants to learn the Bible better. Where do you think we should start? We start in the gospel of John. That's where I would have had you start. Although I've been thinking about it recently. I just made a note for a dream that'll never happen, but I realized something. I think if I wanted you to read the Bible for the first time, you'd never read anything. I think maybe the first thing I give you is Ecclesiastes. I think I might. And then I'd give you John. Just a thought. Just a thought. The Psalter. Got to get it in there. Got to get it in there. Uh, on the Council of Orange Cannons. That sounds awesome, by the way. Like, I see pirates. I guess they'd have to have blue ships, maybe. And then they would have orange cannons. And they could call themselves the Diabolical Council of Orange Cannons. 
and that'd be fun. But the question from Riff Raff is this, can anyone tell me something on the Council of Orange Cannons? Is it legit? So it's even better to be the legit Council of Orange Cannons. And you're in fact pirates. That, that would be very cool. I, 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 I'm not a pirate fan. I am more of the ninja kung fu-ish kind of guy, but um, that'd be very cool. All right, so I cannot tell you anything. I think this is hilarious. This is great. I'm sure it has something to do with uh, early medieval history and is very valuable. It probably has great stuff in it. No idea. Um, send an email to whatever professor's address you can find at Fort Wayne, Concordia Fort Wayne. That would be my answer to that. And hope, I'm sure someone there can help you eventually. It might take you a while. Yeah. Uh, the sounds of words. Uh, Mike says this, uh, idolizing word sounds, doesn't Islam do that with Arabic and the Quran? As I say, the sounds of Arabic are the purest representation of Allah's words. They may. Um, like like German for Christians, right? Oh, wait. Yeah, right. <laughs> like Greek. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, but it's a tendency we have in general because we're going we're gonna to twist and bend everything so that our narcissistic sin can be in charge. And so we'll change the meanings of words and then idolize the new meaning that we use to justify ourselves. It's just the way we are. Uh, Lorenzo says, that's, uh, that's the idea. Although when facing oral and written tradition and corruption thereof, Islam cannot give a coherent answer. True enough, but they attack us like we got their problem. It's amazing. Uh, and certainly not one of uh, that respects the principle that you mentioned. So yeah, so like the, the history of the documented evidence of Islam is not strong. And yet they got scholars out there talking about how bad Christianity's pedigree of the Bible is, as if it's the gold standard for all pedigrees of anything ever written. Everything else must be judged by the quality of the texts of the manuscripts as we have them. There's nothing that compares scientifically. And they don't have anything like it. And yet they're out there saying how we can't trust our Bibles. It's unbelievable. But of course... I'm just going to say it in the most generalized sense. I'm not speaking about any particular religion. All false religions lie with impunity. It's the definition. Last week, common cup. Jen says this. I don't think I've ever taken the common cup chalice. I call it the chalice. Nothing common about it. It's the chalice. It's holy. Yeah. I've never taken the holy chalice before, but after being separated from the body of believers and the Lord's Supper, I intend to when we come back together. Good for you. Because honestly, it's not where you're going to get sick. You're going to get sick from the pastor's hand. That's where you're going to get sick. If you're worried about that, if you really are worried about sickness, I'll tell you the answer to sickness is this. The answer to sickness is that the pastor's washing his hands often. He has a servant there helping him do this the, high, the whole time. He has a servant holding the bread in a box. He has the chalice in his hand. He takes the bread with his cleanly washed hand and he picks up the bread and he dips it in the wine. It's called intinction. I know some people don't like it, but you dip it in the wine and then you put it in the person's mouth. They have their tongue out, drop it on, take, eat, drink, all the whole thing and nothing touched, nothing but bread touching alcohol, which is not going to get you sick. That's what you would do if you really were concerned about germs on Sunday morning. But we're not. We just hate the chalice. And so we make up stuff about germs and instead try to get rid of, sorry, that was my, that was my snark that just came out there. Did, did, did you hear that? Um, what we do is we don't think about this. We feel about this. And then in the feeling, sadly, the feeling that has dominated us on this practice and this topic for a long time has not been hope, but fear. And the answer, what's well, Jesus? It'll save you. is not going to give you hope. It's just going to give you fear. So the, my goal in all of this is not to give you fear, but to give you hope. Because it's with hope that you will stand upon the ruins of the world and not wallow on the ground with the rest. So good for you. I mean, that's an awesome thing, and um, it's not a law, but there's something real freeing about saying, you know, wait, wait, I don't want to drink this cup that Jesus gave us to drink because I'm afraid I might die, 
It's not, it won't kill me. It's so what if I do? I, okay, I'm a father of five. I need, okay, 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 okay. I, I hear all of that. I hear all of that. You're drinking from a cup. You're not going to war. Oh, wait, maybe you are. And maybe it's that hard. Training for ministry without college. Arsant Angel Fire. If I've never been to college, but I'm 30 and just married, what can I do to become a pastor? It's difficult. In the Missouri Synod, there is a way to super duper alt route it without a degree, I believe, but it is not easy and will involve lots of conversations and lots of slowdown and time. Um, by and large, the easy way is to have a bachelor's degree of some kind and then apply to the seminary. Uh, that's also the most expensive way. Uh, the other way would be, it would be less expensive, would be to have a bachelor's degree of some kind. Let the reader understand online junior colleges get most of this done for you uh, and, and worrying less about what you study and more about the piece of paper. And then from there, developing a strong relationship with your local pastor who is going to begin teaching you immediately anyway, just because you want to know. And then uh, from there, the discussion about in the post-COVID world, what does pastoral formation look like? Does SMP, which I've been advocating for a while, become even more of a necessity? That is that you would be trained there by your pastor with oversight from the district and the seminary via distance learning and uh, hands-on practical kind of endless vicarage. Uh, that would be the cheaper version than saving up and going to the seminary after post-COVID, if that's what happens after post-COVID. I have no idea what's going to happen to seminary education. I think we should be less afraid than we are. I think even if it was the Black Plague and we're dying in the streets, at some point you just live. But um, I'm a good citizen too. So uh, with all that said, yeah, yeah that, they, you know, and so here, here's one piece to you. When you're free to move about the country, get a new job in Rockford, come talk to me. Go to my church. We'll get you there eventually. We'll get you there eventually. Uh, but the key, the key, the key is to believe that you don't just go and do it. But sometimes when you go according to the order that you're given to go through, it's going to be harder than you want it to be. So own that. You're going to war. It's going to just destroy your life. So get ready for that. And um, talk to your local pastor a lot. Now. <laughs> Jedi Knight, he says again, does he not dominate us with his cash throwing all the filthy lucre you give me, Jedi Knight? How dare you take my time? <laughs> no, I really appreciate uh, all that you do say, and I'm sure this comment's great. I haven't looked at it deeply. Here it says, there's a letter in the Vatican of the Pope approving a bishop for Finland. So it really makes you wonder if the first Eucharist in America was brewed by Vikings and Native converts. <laughs> kind of awesome. That is kind of awesome. Although the Pope, I, I do have to respond to Shapiro responding to the Pope. Talking about Mother Earth on Earth Day. Now, that's some fun stuff there. Did you know Earth Day was uh, created by a guy who murdered his girlfriend and put her in like a freezer? And, like she dripped through the ceiling in the apartment below? That guy started Earth Day. Yeah. And anyway, it happened this week and then the Pope's like, oh, Mother Earth is, is getting back at us with coronavirus, which is like, Shapiro's right. He's like, that's pagan. That's pagan. Why is the Pope saying it? And I'm, but then I'm on the other side. I'm like, the, the Pope's pagan. He always has been. It's kind of a, it's that antichrist thing. The Pope's pagan. That thing, yes. Thank you. Ben Shapiro. High five. You know, Protestant, you know? Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, 
Uh, was that a missed super chat from last week? I don't know, but here's some Trump bucks. Uh, love the wine bit. Makes me rethink why the Vikings call America Vinland. Fair enough. And uh, many thanks from Derek and Melanie. Uh, thank your wife and children for allowing us your time. You are welcome. And we are so running out of time. I never even explained to hogs and to coos. So like the cow killer killers, people who kill people who kill cows, they do eat pigs, I think, which the cow killer killers do not eat. The Islamic uh, people do not eat pigs. But if you ride a, a bike, a motorcycle, you'll be riding a, a pig, a, a, a hog. And so you'll be a, 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 a hog-riding Hindu. Well, that's quite the title. Um, uh, who, who kills those who kill coos, if you say cow the fun way. And I shouldn't make light of it, but I have to, because it is that bad, this world. The hog-riding Hindu who kills coup killers. And that's his religion. How do we not? I'm going to say it a different way. How has Christianity managed to not compete in this world? I mean, we have, we did, we competed once, but really right now, guys, we're not competing. And look at our competition. I, what they have, I'll tell you what they do have, men. We'll leave it at that. Come back another time. On to your questions and comments through the contact page. we got time. We can do it. It can be done. I was going to return to the LCMS church, but then COVID-19 hit an Ohio shelter in place. So i got to move this to read. Uh, and the closest LCMS church is actually across the river in Cincinnati. I called the pastor's cell phone today. He invited me to a Zoom meeting in Facebook Live. Uh, I wanted the divine service Holy Eucharist. Well... Keep talking to him. Uh, also, normally the LCMS congregation is 50 to 85 people in attendance, depending on the time of year. Uh, da, 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 da. So pray I can return soon. Yeah, absolutely. Josh, absolutely. I pray that you can return soon to all of that. Um, the thing is, though, I mean, keep this in mind too. Like, you can't just go join a church and expect them to give you the Holy Eucharist, right? Like, like that's good that your hunger has been awakened for this, but... Um, there's a lot of Christians who are not joining the church who aren't getting this right now. Uh, so how, how does Paul say it? You desire a noble thing. Yeah. You desire a noble thing, but do your patience. It's a unique time. Uh, if you want to join a church, I had a couple people, two, just one, at least one say to me, like the, the weekend before this all happened, I'd like to join the church. And it's like, what do you do? You know, now, uh, what does that even become? And again, I think we're going to have a different look than we do now in about a month and a half. Everyone else is going to get back faster than Illinois. Illinois is just going to be the, the tank hole for the rest of the ever, I guess. Um, so move here with me. <laughs> Why not? Uh, Property is going to be cheap. Uh, not kidding. How do you get back to growing a congregation? What does church growth even do right now? <laughs> what? It's bad enough for, for us. So... Um, all of that, I think, is just, it's just huge. It's too early to know. Um, keep talking to your pastor then, right? Keep asking. Uh, can you talk to me? Can you Zoom with me? Can you teach me? Recognizing that he's got a lot going on too. And so you, if you need your pastor's time, you get it, generally speaking, once a week max for a while, right? And then you just got to know, like, there's others that need it too. And so you'll kill him, basically. He'll, he'll keep answering. You'll just kill him. <laughs> he won't sleep. He'll die. So, so, so you want to you want to make sure that you you schedule and you recognize. You know how much of what I need can I get other places? But by all means, you should. If you need your pastor, you got to go talk to your pastor right now. Call him. Right. Um, you do it with respect, like a professional. But 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 do it. So, 
Um, similar thing, uh, Pastor Fisk, I miss everything about attending divine service bodily sermons being one of the main missing parts of, of my life for which I long, which is interesting because you can kind of get the sermons online, right? Sort of. But like I said, it is, it is a different thing. Totally different thing. Um, is it covetous, idolatrous to want to see, hear a pastor preaching from the pulpit? Um, probably. Can you do anything without sin? No. So yeah, of course you got some covetousness in there somehow, but why are you worried about it? Like whatever you want the word of God. That's good. Uh, hearing sermons on podcasts, are not the same as hearing a pastor dressed up, preaching the pulpit. Are we dressed up? Is that what we do? Vested. A vested priest and minister of the Holy God proclaiming to you the authorized message for the day. Yeah, it's not quite the same thing. So so this, to me, somehow at least uh, makes the pastor's words more authoritative and powerful. Yeah, although you'd be surprised how powerful a screen is. I mentioned this earlier. Okay? There's this different way. Look at this eye contact. Look at this eye contact. When would I ever maintain this kind of eye contact with you in real life? Ever. Nobody would do this, right? So there's like, there's power in that. And if you use it right, that's why I was, I was begging someone from our church body, just get on the TV every day throughout this thing. Holy moly, give us some eyeballs and some word of God. Please, if you're out there, please. Because um, the power that's here for good is is the power that's here for evil. Anyway, dressed up. Yes, but when, a, when you're vested and in the, I say it's in the context of the flesh, in the context of word and sacrament of, of the supper, it does become, in fact, a differently empowering thing in your life. Now, you can also get into, or I'd, I'd even be willing to debate, that the, the listening that you do in a pew could be authentically better listening than it is elsewhere, but that may not be the case for everybody. And so I'm not, I'm not really quite willing to say that. But there is like a, an awe, reverence, fear that's created too, right? Which is good for the ears. So all of that. Anyway, you share that you're a fan because Jesus. Well, thank you for this. Uh, here is the answer to a lot of why questions. Uh-oh. Psh, 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 psh. Uh, and she says, P.S., it is a truism. You cannot know all your fans. Yep, indeed. Did you assume I was a teenager because my mom gives me money for Easter eggs? Yes. Um, my old dear mom is an aged care facility, uh, yet still sends me a check across the miles for all the celebrations. Cannot wait till I visit her again. That's awesome. That's fun. My wife has been buying eggs as much as she can, and we just bought up all of the the, um, the dye at Easter. <laughs> We're dyeing all our eggs all the time. Uh, it's fun stuff. All right, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get to this one for sure. Um, couple of emails came through all from the same individual. This was the final one. I sent a frustrated note to you. I was taking my stuff out on everybody. I just wanted to apologize. And I just want to say I forgive you. Yeah. Uh, thank you. And this is the question that you feel or felt I have not answered or that I, um, uh, I, I brushed off. And I'm sorry for brushing it off. That is not my intention. Um, <clears throat> there are times when it's important when you're asking a question, though, to realize that maybe uh, the question itself is obstinate like by definition. Okay. So there's that too. And I think that once you've gone through all the Bible verses about the Lord's Supper and baptism, and you just have those Bible verses and you put this question on the other side of it, if you still side with this question, this question isn't really going to answer it for you either. Like if I gave you the right answer, quote unquote, you'd come up with another one because this question demonstrates you don't want what the Bible says. You want to argue. Right. So, so no, I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean about that. It's just, you know, we should, we all do this. this is what wicked flesh does. You argue with the Bible. Like when you read the Bible, every time you read the Bible, you're arguing with the Bible. You're wrestling with God like Jacob. Just pray to God. He breaks your leg. Doesn't let you think you win, <laughs> you know, uh, at that jabbock. Uh, so that's my point. It's not to dismiss the question It's to say the question just has no merit in the conversation. It doesn't compare. It's a different game. Now, 
Why do we need more forgiveness? Um, if you think of forgiveness the way a Roman Catholic would, that it's sort of like liquid that has to be poured into a cup to keep the cup full, and the full cup is righteousness. And so you lose a little, you get a little. You lose a little, you get a little, and you need more. That's how they hold you hostage, make you pay for all the stuff they make you pay for. You need a little more grace in your life. Got to pay for it. Got to work for it, huh? which we would say is bad, right? Um, but the question is assuming that view of forgiveness. So it's not that you need more forgiveness as if forgiveness could be divided into some forgiven and some not forgiven. It's more that the experience of being a forgiven one by God means remembering it. And we're so bad that if we aren't forgiven out loud again, we won't. Our evil so great, we will cease to remember that we are forgiven. Even as we worship Jesus and try to be good people in God's name. And so Jesus insists on always giving us significantly more forgiveness than we need, in theory, if we're going to do math with it. Because he's not doing math. He's dragging you out of darkness into his ineffable and infinite light. And so if he wants to tell you about it a whole lot more than you think you need to, and in his doing so, he says, oh, by the way, I'm not just telling you, I'm doing it more, just so you know how like small and insignificant and unaware you are. And I love you anyway, I'm going to say to you anyway. But why do I need more? Brush your teeth, you know? That's what, that's what I said to my kids. Brush your teeth. Huh. If you don't feel you need to be reminded that you are forgiven, you got big problems. You probably would feel better with this phrase if it just said, it reminds you of the forgiveness achieved by Jesus Christ. We don't say that because we believe that the words are the thing itself. So that the forgiveness of Jesus Christ is not symbolized by these words somewhere else, but is in fact these words now. And they are always, eternally, cosmically and infinitely, locally present at that moment with all of your past and future involved. So, again... We're just in a different place in the conversation, right? Than, is it really Jesus? Does it really forgive sins? The Bible says that. There's just no argument against that aside from reason, and that would be the definition of being a sacramentarian, wouldn't it now? <laughs> you know? Uh, so, uh, you know, number four, I got to be, uh, I, I can go a little bit over today, but not much. I got a meeting at 11 here. So, so uh, Pastor Fisk, I realize this might not be in your wheelhouse. Oh, I like the way this begins, though. Anytime you tell me that, it's like, challenge accepted, Captain Nemo. Um, and that's from an, I don't even know my own Easter egg. Where's that from? Challenge accepted Captain Nemo. It's not, it's not Nemo. It's Nemo. Nemo. What's that from? Ah, man, too many movies as a child. This may not be in my wheelhouse, but I would appreciate your ins insight. I recently turned 30 and having been married for just under a year, May 4th, uh, my wife and I are living in a house we purchased before the wedding, state funded grant attached. 
one of the conditions of the grant is that we inhabit the house for five years before selling it, else we must repay the grant in full. I have no formal education and have been involved in trade work for most of the time since I graduated high school in 2008. I have a deep desire to serve the Lord and His church as a pastor. I served in my previous church, an evangelical free church, as a lay minister for 10 years. I worked primarily with the youth, filling the role of youth pastor when their staff pastor left the church. Uh, and then most recently as a youth ministry intern, I converted to Lutheranism. I've been faithfully attending my local SMS church, but I'm not serving in any capacity. Uh, I've had people suggest to become a pastor in both churches. I have no education. Given my situation, what are my options in regards to going to seminary? Um, I've sent emails out to a mission staff at CUC, but have not heard back from them. That's Concordia University, Chicago. Yeah, right. Um, they're probably in chaos mode right now and totally unprepared to even think about responding to letters, but good for you. And maybe in a few months there, I tell you, bureaucracy, my friends, we don't even, you don't even know. Wherever you've seen it, it's worse everywhere else. And anything that we have as an institution, as a church, getting stuff done in this muck, oh my goodness. Um, communication, oh my goodness. Thank, thank goodness we're not running the country. Oh my goodness. Anyway, sorry. I actually have hope in God, not men, so I'm okay. You know, <laughs> Um, but you know, I've sent emails to the mission staff. Haven't heard back. I know, as I said earlier, this might not be in your wheelhouse. Um, no, it really is, uh, this question, because the first thing I want to tell you is you signed a contract for a loan in the grant. Now, granted, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to stay in it and there's a way to get out of it. Right. But you're going to lose the grant. <clears throat> I just, I just want you to, Think long and hard about this, though. Like, the life of the pastor is going to be the life of making sure that when you say you're going to do something for a while, you do it. That's what above reproach means, right? First thing Paul says in First Timothy 3, be above reproach. So none of us can really achieve that, by the way. We just try to. It means look like you believe this stuff. <laughs> try. Uh, you know, uh, so, well, I would I would contend to you that the f given everything else you just said and the state of the world right now, the first part of trying for you um, is to get a hold of your pastor and tell him you'd like to become more involved in the congregation's leadership during this time of crisis, any way you can help, and then into the future. And that you need and hunger for a particular theological training with the potential of preaching it someday, but you're not, you don't know yet because it's really a long way away for you. So you would just like him to, to lean on you and believe that in that process you can learn from him. And, uh, you know, and I'm talking like, what do you need done? Who do you need seen or called? That kind of thing. Um, start there and, and then pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the vineyard and that you might put your hand to that plow. But for the moment, wait for the Lord on that, uh, at least a month or two. And I would say you have a nice timeline with that, with that, that mortgage contract, uh, for, the time to consider seminary and or complete an online junior college bachelor's degree so you can go to seminary. So you have a decent timeline. I would not, I would, I would make sure you pay that, that housing um, mortgage. And I, I am one who I do not give financial advice other than my own common sense opinion about what I would do. Uh, generally speaking, I would not buy a house. Um, not unless I was really sure I was in the long haul in that place. Uh, it's just, especially now offloading your house. You gotta, you gotta sit for a while, I think, uh, and, and maybe longer. 
So, uh, and I say that as somebody who's buying a house. Uh, so it's not that I'm anti, 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 there's a time, there's a place, but the, the amount of financial jeopardy you put yourself into, and especially then if you're going to do that, you're going to pull the rug out from under you with this grant. The moment you go in and sign up for a job that you will never be paid what you deserve, you're never going to make back probably what you invest to get it. So don't be a fool at the start, just burning cash. Uh, the cash matters. The cash is not God. The cash is the lucre of a wicked world. It's the way you create boundaries in your first article, real world life so that you can adequately be the preacher of the gospel you desire to be. That means taking care of the cash. Well, being a good steward of the resources and that all is again above reproach. So you go through that, go, go, go look at first Timothy chapter three, read it carefully, read it every day, read one word a day, mostly uh, for, for a month. I'm not kidding. One word, ponder one word, ask your pastor for Greek studies on those words. Uh, go, go, go looking on YouTube, uh, carefully for, for, uh, good, good word studies on those words. Look at those words and just contemplate them and just realize that this, you're committing your life to looking like this and whatever doesn't look like this, you're going to have to keep to yourself and your confessor. Right. Uh, and, and then you're going to war. You're going to be attacked. You're going to lose everything, but that's okay. You're going to get it back a hundredfold. So just but don't go in thinking you're going to have it be like it is now because it, well, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, Now uh, it, it won't be. And my experience has been that most young men have never thought that through. They think they're just going to love Jesus and serve God. And, and, and yes, but valley, shadow, death, gray, latter days. Okay. So real stuff here, right? Um, How's he say it? Use worldly wealth to make friends for yourself in heaven. Huh? So it's here and we got to be aware of it. All right. That gets us to, oh, we got one more before I can go. Hello, Pastor Fisk. My name's Logan. I have a question about cutting out sin. Oh, circumcision. Uh, I, I'm coming out of a Calvinistic background and I have a lot of that. A lot of that had me looking inward at my repentance. I could never believe it was genuine. Yep. You know, we have paragraphs and books about how the Calvinist teaching does that. It's funny. It's really consistent. Um, blah, 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 blah. I always say that if I was being honest, I was more scared than loving toward my God. Yeah. That's, that's, I think that's just the human flesh. We should all be able to say that if we're talking about our, our honest, beastly heart. Yeah. Um, uh, in my Calvinist background, it led me constantly thinking about how to cut everything I saw as inappropriate in my life, right? Because you had to be right in order to be saved, even though you're elected, maybe, right? Uh, but for me, this always had the feel of cold legalism in my life because I've never had the right desire. Yeah. Because you're trying to make the heart beat. Beat, damn you. And I mean that, right? Like you're like, you're like cursing your own heart to hell, trying to make it live and it won't live. It won't live. It needs gospel. It needs good news, news, which is better, promissory even to, to live. So how, from a Lutheran perspective, would I advise cutting out sin? We just cut it out. Cut it out. What a terrible phrase. We'll come back to that. I don't mean like sex outside of marriage. All that stuff is obvious. So not for everybody, it's not. Uh, and, and I mean things like video games, <laughs> which for a long time I thought were an idol or procrastination. So it's not video games is the problem. Is the procrastination, the laziness, and the idolatry of the entertainment. Uh, as a what? As a hiding place from the real real world wherein there are crosses you would not carry? Yeah, yeah, okay, that. But don't blame the video games. Come on now. We're men here. Men play video games and we don't blame them. <laughs> blame ourselves. So, uh, yeah. Look, you're caught in a spiritual 
feedback loop that you've been trained into through practice. And the thing that would be the most valuable to help you untrain it, you you can't have right now, unless you're at one of those rare churches that's giving private masses, private communions every Sunday. Um, because what would help you with this is to go to the supper regularly as the antidote to cutting out sin, as the cutting out of the sin. I, how do I cut out my sin? I go and I confess it, and then I eat Jesus. That's how I cut out my sin. Like, but what do you do when you get home? I believe what I said. That's what I do. Did I confess the sin and not mean it? Well, that's sad if I discover that. And I do discover that sometimes. You know what I do then? I repent again. And I go back to Jesus because he's never going to let me down. He's never going to stop being righteous enough for me. So I go back to that supper. Not because I need more forgiveness to complete my empty cup that I just emptied somehow, but because the fullness of forgiveness is there again for me, as it always has been and will be, to strengthen and sustain me steadfast in the one true faith, the life everlasting. That's the liturgy. That's the words. So that's how I cut out sin. Confession, absolution, private if I can get it, take the supper as often as possible, believe in Jesus, and you know what? It happens. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for someone to say, Antinomian, he said you don't need the law. Did I? I just said you become a better person, which in my mind means you start to love the law. Whether you've read it or whether you just know it's true, the spirit of God inside of you can't not but restore you to a son of God in the creation. And the chief thing a son of God in creation would do is know what God did and believe it to be true. So I'm not going to beat my breast, confess my sins, have my priest, my pastor, my preacher, what do you want to call him? Shepherd? Having the one apostled by God to speak in God's name to me, forgive that sin. I don't do that and then go home and think, well, thank goodness I did that. I can do some more. Like, like what kind of lying, two-faced, I mean, that exists. That ain't faith alone. That ain't faith at all. So how do I cut out sin? I confess it, I have it absolved, and then I take it to the cross of Jesus in the flesh and blood that's risen from it, and I believe that is sufficient. I believe in justification by grace alone. I actually do. And I believe that its natural result, supernatural if you will, is the new obedience of the new man, who's risen in Christ, who loves the law, and so will seek it out and even talk about it, probably teach it from time to time, often even. Live according to it. It's all wisdom, right? So so th- th- that's where that would go. And I'd worry a little bit less about how to like peg the, uh, well, well, pin, pin the tail on the, on the pitfall, right? Where's the thing that's going to trip me up? No, 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 no. I'm going to trip. I'm going to trip myself. I'm not going to, trip on accident I don't pray lead me not into temptation as if I'm praying for him to keep me away from the stuff I like I mean the stuff I don't like the problem lead me not into temptation is the prayer of recognition that I actually want to go find evil and I don't have to blame violence and sex to do it I can do it just fine but being a snobby jerk or somebody who's not aware of what everybody else is going through right now.
Jesus cut out sin. It took five holes to do it. The circumcision was just a prototype. But the lopping off of the foreskin of Adam's death, the cutting out of sin, it is all complete. I don't know if I can even do it. Sound effects number two. Here we go. We'll get you on camera with the... This way. Doesn't quite do it. The nail's going in. Colossians chapter 2. The true circumcision of the heart. The true cutting out. It is not that you would cease sinning in this life. It's that in desiring to not sin in this life, you would finally be honest enough to admit no matter how long you do it, you're going to just kill yourself with it. And so you need to wait for somebody more powerful than you, oh, I don't know, the Lord, to save you. And now Christianity is just, you know, we, we believe he has. He did. It's done. Right? Um, and again, I'm not going to complain if the current state of the world for all that it sucks, is reminding me of that more these days. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be pretty, pretty happy about that. You're Christian or not, because it's gonna change how you impact whatever you do next today, tomorrow, the day after. And take this one for fun. When a pattern breaks, it's an opportunity for a new pattern. You know how hard it is to change your habits. It is so hard to change your habits. You know what just happened to you? You just had a magical moment that only happens once in like a millennium, if that, wherein the universe said, hey, free restart of habits. Like, if you aren't grabbing on with both hands right now and doing all you can with that thought, I, I, I am sorry. And I'm, so I'm sharing it with you. You just had so many habits break. Start some new ones on purpose. Think about when you wake up, how you eat, when you eat, why you eat, where you go who you speak to, how often you drive, what do you think, what do you read, what do you listen to? Habits. You, we, we, us, thou, plural, have a golden gift from our Lord right now of sterile awareness of the evil and the opportunity to reorient ourselves around the third commandment. Make the holy day, holy day, every day. Tony Robbins, I don't recommend everything about him ever. There's a really interesting documentary about him on Netflix. I watched about half of it. And one of the first things you'll notice in it is that the guy cusses like a sailor. I mean, he would make Missouri Synod pastors in their beer-drinking, gamutlikite time blush with the kind of things he's able to say, given that most Missouri Synod pastors do kind of sometimes curse like sailors, you know, with a whiskey and a cigar in hand, uh, and usually over quite educated scholastic content, uh, mind you. It's not ignorant talk most times. Uh, so, so, so Tony, though, you'll notice that he, he just, it's bombastically, he's just dropping F-bombs left and right. He'll talk about this. He'll talk about how, you know, these huge seminars where there's like thousands upon thousands of people that have each paid thousands of dollars to be there to hear this guy on a stage talk. And then there's some counseling stuff and there's teams and stuff that go on. It's fascinating industry. It's a major industry. It's huge spiritual growth industry. How are we not even trying is what I want to know. But, 
he cusses a lot. And the reason he does it, he says, why he says, my goal here is to break your pattern. And when profanity is used by a, a, a public speaker, it's so jarring to the human psyche, the normal pattern of language that you would expect at that place, that it compels you with animal instinct to listen more carefully. You know, if someone's in your face and murmur you, you know, you're going to listen more carefully. <laughs> so he does this not because he's angry. He's not even angry at all. And it, sometimes it's like he doesn't even have any meaning. He's just doing it to, to obscure the waters so that the people that are there to change their lives that weekend are so combobbled out of what is normal that they can set down some new path, some new track. Now, I think this is a good reason to get the word damn and hell back into Christian vernacular appropriately used to describe reality. But it's also a good reason to remember that in a moment like this, when you've had it really F-bombed to death life, it's the same reality. You have the cleanest break with yesterday that you've ever had and will ever have again. Now, I'm not saying, you know, don't waste it. The Lord ain't going to waste it on yeah, but what you could do is worry about it less. What you could do is embrace it more. What you could do is remember that the justified are remembered with joy by all who know them. Proverbs 10, verse 7. The justified are remembered with joy by all who know them while the names of the wicked. It's funny how the picture like flicked up. You can't even read it. It's, just, it's what's happening. The names of the w- wicked um, are readily forgotten. The justified are remembered with joy while the names of the wicked are readily forgotten. Proverbs 10, verse 7, that's not exactly what it says. It says it a little differently, but I, I give it to you today. There's a song I've been listening to. We'll close with this. I love y'all. I'm sorry, I'm not, no more comments today because I got to go to this meeting, but I got to marry people in the midst of this madness. Uh, it, there's a couple songs I have on a, on a playlist track called uh, uh, Can't Listen Enough or something like that. <clears throat> And stuff goes in and out of there when I'm like addicted to it. And there's one I'm addicted to right now, uh, Tommy Prophet. I got another song I like by him. Uh, he's like a uh, original soundtrack rock kind of guy. And the song has got a, a lead female vocal. And it's called um, I don't even know what it's called, but the the chorus goes, uh, "There's only one crown," and it's got my name on it. I've been listening to it a lot. At first, I was kind of bothered by it. I liked the music, but I was like, wait, what's she singing about? That sounds kind of selfish. And then the more I listened, the more I was just stunned. I don't know enough about this Tommy Prophet guy. But the, the, the phrase, you know, the, the, the last day is not here yet. Something like that comes out in the middle of this song. I'm only listening to it like seven times, right? So, but somewhere in this, there's some like Christian metaphoric stuff going on about the end of the world. It's like, wait, wait, wait. But so if I'm waiting for the end of the world, I'm a Christian. How would there be one crown and my name is on it? And then, oh, wait a minute. I'm a, I'm, I am a Christian. Like that's my baptized name, little one in Christ. So whose name is on the crown? Christ. Uh, Whose name is, whose name's Christ? I am baptized in holy, baby. Father, Son, and Spirit. I mean, I'm, am I preaching? Am I praying with my head covered? I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I would take it off to make this, to genuflect normally. I, I honestly would. Um, <laughs> uh, 
There's only one crown. It's got my name on it. It's got your name on it too. Thou, you plural. Our name is on it because Jesus' name is on it. And now Jesus' name was on you. And if it's not yet, it's only because you don't want to be. It's free. It's free. Oh, my friends. It has been so good to be with you this morning. I don't want to go. I don't want, I wanted to come on early, but I was too busy setting stuff up. So it'd be all pretty and cool like this, right? And uh, um, I think it made for a good show. I hope I, I got to the comments enough. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I would do more. I If I didn't have to go right now, I would, but I'm got to go right now, so I can't. But I'm going to leave you with where we started. Um, there's no rush. There is no worry. The, the, the particular virtue of the Church of Jesus Christ is patience. So there's no rush, there's no worry here on the Mad Christian Saturday Morning Chill as we dealt with Hell's Cow Killer Killers amongst more. If you like what I'm doing and what we're doing, make sure you get over to Patreon. You can get that bonus content now. Most weeks, I suppose, you can buy my books. You can join the Mad Mighty Networks, talk in the comments to people about that. Super chat. Thank you for those of you who did. Believe it or not, in our day now, that's as important to my family's living as ever. So so um, glad to see, excuse me, more of you signing up for that as you have been, and I want to thank you all for that. If you haven't signed up for Mad Mondays, you should do so. Because, well, you don't want to mull on the... You don't... It's been a little... couple hours, right? I'm going to do it again wrong, just so you can hear the fun of it, okay? I'm not going to mallow in the walk with... Now, can I keep it that bad? Um, hoes who have no thope. There we go. That was good. I'm not going to... I did it again, mallow. I'm not going to wallow in the muck with those who have no hope this week. I'm not. I'm going to stand amongst the ruins of the world. And I hope soon enough they start looking at me and saying, what is that mad Christian doing? But I'm going to stand there amidst the shattered ruins of this world and not wallow in the muck so that when you look up and you say, what am I doing? I can point Say, I'm waiting for Jesus. He'll be back any minute. Rock on.